welcome everybody to an episode of Off the Table from the Underground Table podcast. Um, things are a little bit different here. We're not going to do a recommend or a few or anything like that. This is just so that we can breathe. We have some room to really talk about something that uh, we wanted to get into with uh, a former guest of ours and a current guest of ours, um, Lane White, who... Hello, has joined us once before to talk about. Was it suspect? It, it was definitely. I suspect, suspect it was that. I think it yeah, was suspect. Yeah. <laughs> um, Ryan unfortunately wasn't able to to join us for that one, but Ryan is able to join us for this now, um, and <clears throat> we're going to be talking about John Carpenter's The Thing because Lane, you never seen it, right? I have seen a lot of John Carpenter, and for whatever reason, I had not seen this prior to last night's viewing. Well, there you go. Yeah. Nice. Uh, before we really dive in and start kind of talking about it, um, just wanted to say I am your host, John Garcia. Uh, with me at the table is, of course, Lane White, our guest, and Ryan King. Uh, I know I'm human. I don't know about you guys, but I know I'm human. <laughs> <laughs> and Michael Dixon. I'm definitely a robot. <laughs> I like to think that I'm the chess-playing computer that oh, okay. dumps oh, yes. whiskey into at the beginning. The extraordinarily <laughs> expensive, probably, computer that he ruins over a, a call. That uh, Given that we're dumping whiskey into Lane right now, maybe he's going to malfunction. <laughs> yeah, I could be right. Yeah. Cheating bitch. Cheating bitch. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, yeah, Lane, uh, you're, you're the person who hadn't seen this before. Why don't you enlighten us? What, what is the thing about? You know, it's actually a very simple movie. Uh, so there is some kind of alien being that crash lands on Earth and hijinks ensue when that alien being uh, happens to be on uh, an Arctic base, right? Yep. Um, that Antarctic. It's Antarctic. That's uh, right. Sorry. <laughs> it's against the Arctic. I see. Thank you. Uh, and the tricky thing about this, the, the reason why it's not like your classic like monster movie is that this alien uh, inhabits slash assimilates any being that it encounters or like takes over or attacks. And so there's an element of man against, you know, the alien, but there's also an element of man against man here because you don't know if the person across from you or the dog across from you is in fact the thing. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, it's, it's a, it's got a motif of trust of like really questioning how do you establish trust, especially as circumstances uh, continue to pressure you into corners of um, paranoia and distrust, uh, which is a huge driving factor of the entire film. Um, yeah. It hinges completely on that. Uh, and it's also based on, I believe a short story uh, and or it's the the remake of an older movie. It is. Um, it's based on a short story that was made into a movie called The Thing from Another World in the 50s, which I saw a few months ago at, at AFS for the first time. That was interesting. The Thing is definitely a far superior film, but um, that, that was an in interesting movie. And then this is more going back to the original source material. And there's a lot of differences between the two movies. With that said, though, uh, you know, it, it's like like the case with a lot of John Carpenter movies. This movie had been written like a bunch of times, you know, over and over and over. And once John Carpenter gets his mitts on on a project, also he invests heavily into it. And 
I know that it is similar to the source material, but, uh, you know, it, it's also very, very John Carpenter, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, Lane, what were your first impressions? Uh, I, I mean, I'll, I'll sum up my overall impression just real quick, which is I think that this is John Carpenter's best movie. Um, I told you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think that it uh, is tense throughout the whole movie. I think the acting is so good by like your uh, like your main cast and mm-hmm. like the people that would eventually become big stars, like your Wilford Brimley's, <laughs> yes. which, you know, it's crazy to think of Wilf. Uh, you know, I don't think of Wilford Brimley as like a huge star or anything, but uh, it He's is like a ph- pharmaceutical sales rep, right? Yeah, Famous it, ph- pharmaceutical sales rep. Yeah, Wilford and, Brimley. You know, <laughs> notable cocoonist. And, um, <laughs> But, you know, this was one of his, like, first big movies, right? And and so you have such great performances throughout, uh, and then you combine that with incredible effects that still hold up in presenting, like, an otherworldly, truly uh, alien presence that uh, unnerves, like, throughout. Like, I... I uh, I don't really get scared from. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but right, uh, right. I, I will say, like watching this movie, I definitely felt uh, the dread that um, he, that that Carpenter like presented, and it it like viscerally affected me. I, I loved the movie. Yeah, uh, Dixon. What about you? How, how many times have you seen this movie? Uh, this is the second time I've seen it. Um, Really enjoyed it the first time and again the second time. The first time I saw it, I was like, man, that was a really good Alien ripoff. And Hmm. um, like watching it again this time, I watched Alien this week as well, which I do think is a better movie, but they're both so good. And I think there's a lot of similarities between the two. You can see a lot of influence there. But now having seen the thing from another world, it's clearly pulling from that story as well. But there's a lot of similarities to Alien where it's like a group of co-workers out on some sort of ill-defined job who are in an isolated area fighting against a an unknown alien entity that they're freaked out by and it's like horrifying special effects and lack of trust of you know people in the group and stuff where there's a lot of similar things but the thing really does stand out on its own it's just an absolutely fantastic movie some of the best special effects that i've ever seen and uh you know all practical, just amazing that they were able to do all that from a practical standpoint. I saw an interview with the special effects guy, and he said he worked on this for over a year for like seven days a week, every single day, just putting everything he had into this. He was like 22 at the time, just like really trying to make a name yeah. for himself. And holy shit, the special effects are amazing. Um, and the you know that added difference between alien, you know, this and alien. It's like you know you you don't know where the thing is, who it could be, can you trust the person across from you, definitely adds a new dynamic to that type of story. Well, uh, So I, I really enjoyed this. I, I also think, like, I, I agree with you. I, I actually think that The Thing is a better movie than, than Alien, even though I'm, I'm a huge fan of Alien. I just, I think perhaps uh, that the, like, xenomorph mm-hmm. is, like, so ingrained in, like, the 
popular culture in a way that these aliens yeah. from yeah. Uh, the thing never could be. Like, I can't right, imagine this being yeah. ripped off in Spaceballs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's no way. Yeah. It's harder to do. You'd have to, what, like, have a shaky dummy, and then people would really have to make that connection. Because the thing is, that's the whole point of it is it's so ambiguous mm-hmm. in what it could be that you can't make it iconic. You can only make like McCready iconic or like the actual core characters that it can inhabit. Right. And I don't yeah. think that Kurt Russell action figures are really going to sell as well as a Xenomorph action figure. And <laughs> I don't Reagan's know. America. That hat he was wearing while he flew the helicopter <laughs> is incredible. <laughs> I do think Carpenter, like he really did want that difference from alien and from the original thing from another world where he specifically said like, I don't want a guy in a suit. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and so the yeah the creature work you know special effects work here was to create something and I think you know absolutely pulls it off of like something more incomprehensible and and harder to pin down as like one thing and is creepy and vaguely human vaguely not at various times um, versus like the alien I guess if you look at it they had to keep it in the dark a lot right mm-hmm. to to get the good effects and it and it pulls off but at the end of the day it. It kind of is a combination of some puppets and a guy in a suit versus this, which is like a whole bunch of different things like puppets, machinery, like trick work, whips. Like that was crazy. All the different stuff that they used. A lot of goo. Yeah. A lot of goo. A lot of KY. <laughs> yes. I'm surprised. So G- goo was involved, you say. <laughs> <laughs> if you're not looking closely for it, you may not notice. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you know, credits, yeah. The guy who did it was called Mr. Magoo. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is. It is actually interesting that it. It. It surprisingly takes a while for that, you know, gore and like creature to to manifest itself, right? Like when when you start, you know, we're like, why is this terrible <laughs> shot uh, shooting at this dog from a helicopter? <laughs> yeah, um, Dude, he must have shot like eighty times. Yeah, Antarctic yeah. Rambo. Yeah, <laughs> he mis- yeah he misses with the grenade, right? Like he doesn't even throw the grenade in the right like direction. Committing yeah. eco terrorism <laughs> all across the fucking Antarctic yeah. escape. Yeah, and and so we're like wondering what in the world is going on, and clearly there's something awry with the dog. And yet we don't see the dog like do anything except for, you know, stare menacingly, which I'm sure is what Dixon well, there's that shot where they zoom in do. on the dog's eyes and he like darts his eyes back <laughs> yeah. and forth. <laughs> <laughs> a really suspicious dog. <laughs> or like when it like pokes its head around the, the like door frame. Like that's great. Mm. Uh, great dog work. Yeah. It really <laughs> is. Uh, like that was very creepy and, and spooky, but it's still like, I don't know. It feels like. 30 minutes 20 to 30 and yeah it when the dog is put into the pen and then like splits itself open and turns itself inside out yeah <laughs> you're like what the fuck is going on right like, yeah because up until then it's just the goodest boy like you're like oh yeah there's a dog there Some, something's fucked up maybe but yeah. uh it, it gets plenty of time um R- ryan how many times have you seen the thing i want to kind of round out how many numbers we got here <laughs> I I've seen it like in pieces before. I actually think this is the first time I've sat down and watched it through. So like I knew everything and I knew the creature work and kind of knew the major staples of it. Cause I've watched it. I think in pieces, it's one of those where I like stitched together in several watchings. Um, yeah. so it's good to sit down and get it like all the way through. Nice. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I think I, I'm at it four or five times now, but 
I really want to watch okay, it. Okay, you win, John. Yeah. I win, everybody. Right. I just wanted to establish I'm the dominant one here. <laughs> uh, and I still, at the end of the movie, I always get into that discussion with other people where they're like, do you think, like, what's your opinion on who might be the thing at the end of it or whatever's going on? And I was like, I really don't care. Like, mm. I just had such a good time um, being unsettled and kind of uh, disturbed in so many ways by John Carpenter and the creature work. And it was just like, I don't care about anything after that. I don't want to deduce this. I want to do a math problem. Try to like track <laughs> right. all this. Well, um, I, I also think like we're, we're really led to believe that a lot of the characters are in fact assimilated by the thing and then proven that they're in fact not. Yeah. The, you know, th- yeah. the thing is like trying to blame other people in the, in the yeah. group throughout the movie. <laughs> yeah. And, and so like I, at the end that I, I, that's what I love that there really is true ambiguity, mm-hmm. you know, as far as like whether or not either one is. Yeah. It's great. And it's like, sure, Carpenter could come through and do some Ridley Scott shit and just explain it and whatever. And I think he has said at one point, I, like, what it I was. was looking up. A, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, I was looking that up, and Carpenter kind of has said both things, I think, on purpose. Great. Like, he's let it go one way or another because he <laughs> wants it to be that way. Um, that. And then there are, yeah, there's other things like the video game and whatever this 2011 movie is. I don't know why I haven't watched that one. They're oh, like, yeah maybe explain it. Um, well, but he's what the carpenter didn't have anything to do with that or yeah. What I read is also that the, there actually is a, a couple of different alternate endings. Um, one, in fact, that the studio made him film, which, uh, Kurt Russell's character gets rescued and then he performs a test, uh, revealing that he is in fact, not, you know, Everybody's safe. Yeah. From the infection. Yeah. But it's like, that's, that's way too. Very glad they did not use that. that yeah. What's great sucks. is from what I read, like every alternate ending that they tested, tested poorly. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and so Carpenter was just like, let's just do what I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Which of course, what he wanted to do was leaving a unicorn and having Edward James almost say she won't live. But then again, who does? Uh, and we see, sorry, that's Blade Runner. Yeah. Uh, anyways. <laughs> Have any Blade Runner seen... came out the same weekend as this. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. interesting. And both of them got overshadowed because E.T. was still running. God yeah. damn like, that yeah, Raisin th- Man yeah. from space. <laughs> so this is, yeah, this is a box office bomb because it got shadowed by E.T. And it has mixed reviews. I think it'd be interesting to talk about that, why it was like not liked at the time. Yeah, I, I wish it would have been re-released and uh, double-stomped Mac and me whenever that came out. Like, I feel like that would be kind of a kicking by association. But. <laughs> well, almost all of Carpenter's movies, when they come out, they are almost uh, universally, well, not universally, but like at least by like the mainstream press, it's almost always like, oh, his movies are awful. This movie is trash. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes popular through the home video market. Yep. And uh, for listeners at home, the home video market I'm referring to is uh, VHS tapes. Whoa. Uh, rentable at your Blockbuster or Video Village. Are those like CDs or DVDs? Or? <laughs> Just like those, John. Oh, wow. uh, no, so it, that's where his movies became popular, and then they continued to gain like a cult following. Really, like he was the progenitor of this like cult following kind of uh, ethos. And 
it's only when these movies become popular do the same uh, reviewers then say, well, you know, we don't really like this movie because it's not like the thing which we loved, even though they mm-hmm. said that they hate it. Yes. Those goddamn critics. Revisionisms. <laughs> Have really any of you guys like, seen The Thing from Another World? No. No, but I've seen no. 2011's The Thing. Uh, oh. That's in the other direction, technically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the Thing from Another World is interesting because it is like, it, it's just there's one crew and it's like it's the first Norwegian crew, basically that story, um, where like they find the, you know, the, the hole with the ship in it and they carve out the alien and they have the ice block and he melts. So you see all of that story. Hmm. Um but the thing is just like a guy in a Frankenstein suit going, and that's ba- like, there's no, co- this concept of assimilation is not there. And I, I think it's just because when they made it, they didn't have the tech to do something like that. And then Carpenter was like, no, we want to go back to the short story and try to do this copycat alien thing and see if we can pull this off. But it's, it's, it's good. It's got a lot of uh, good dialogue in it, but it's just kind of a, a you know, dude that's strong and throws people kind of thing but um he's he's like a vegetable based being but he's shaped like a human and he like he (laughs) grows like a vegetable it's kind of weird one of them corn cob aliens that's why why he can survive in the ice because he's a vegetable Um, but he's very strong i don't know i don't know why you know how he can throw around people <laughs> was, with muscles, but he was I see, blanched uh, before he got frozen. <laughs> I, I see why you uh, identified with this this movie. <laughs> the villain was a vegetable. <laughs> I feel like they could have done. Did, okay, so this is turning more towards the thing from another world. But uh, did they not do like um, any kind of? There, so there's no assimilation aspect, but they could have done it not with like the same tech, but. If George Melies can pull off a poof and switching somebody out, you yeah. could easily be like, I was a thing all along. And it would be like, okay, oh no, like that kind of shit. They, they don't yeah. even try. They're I mean, just... it could have been like maybe they were just on the heel of the Universal Monster movies and were trying to crank it sure, that kind of yeah. thing. Definitely. Yeah. 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 Okay. I don't know. Well, even just like an invasion of the body snatchers type thing back in the deal where right? like they can still look the same they're yeah. supposed to be human anyway yeah. and you just yeah well i mean all the the most memorable scenes from john carpenter's the thing are the ones where it's like this weird bloody amorphous blob right yes. and like yeah. i don't know that they would have been able to pull that off <laughs> no uh, I, yeah. I, most memorable yes um that's the most, word I, I chose my word carefully there most <laughs> impacting i would say i i don't know i i i really feel like the the trust stuff like yeah. really like got to me the like tension of the air in some yes. of the sequences with that also i really related after going through the pandemic i really related with dr blair being like i'm all better now just let me come out please <laughs> as, <laughs> as, as the out. noose like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like tangles in front i told you i'm all better <laughs> yeah come on let me out please <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh um yeah, so the the what is it? We just talked about kind of the dog, the opening sequence with the dog. Um and uh the I was gonna call them Swedish and see if somebody corrected me, but now I've just <laughs> I've abandoned yeah. my plans to conflate uh. Swedes with Norwegians, um, as McCready continues to do for like a good majority of the movie until he has to be corrected like five All times. All those Nordic people are the same. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All doing the same shit. <laughs> um 
Yeah, I really enjoy kind of the way that it sets up too. Like from the get go, you get that score, that bass, the bump, 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 mm-hmm. bump, bump, and then the dog running and like this terrible shot trying to get him and everything. But you're also meeting the crew. Like you're on the station. Everybody's having a good day so far, as far as I know, except for McCready, who's <laughs> just lost his chess match. He's no Bobby Fisher. <laughs> but it is clear that he's presented to be like a strategic you know, thinker. Yeah. Um, however, whenever he's backed up against a corner, he just calls you a cheating bitch and shifts whiskey in your face. <laughs> he also makes a really stupid chess move. And he's like, I got you now computer. And then gets checkmated right away. <laughs> okay. Do, do we know why they're there? Like that's one, like I said, I liked alien a little bit better. I think it does a better job of developing the characters and the backstory a little bit. And this, it's like, it throws you in the shit and it's it's really fun. But I was like, why the fuck are these people even here? They're just like scientists on Antarctica. There's a helicopter pilot because sure, I guess they need one of those. But we don't really explain what they're no, doing, they the research they're working on. I mean, on. there's probably like a lot of stuff that you could throw at it and be like, yeah, they're there measuring whatever yeah. carbon emissions in the yeah. fucking Antarctic. Mm. I don't know. I, it doesn't I, matter. Yeah, it doesn't really matter to me. I think the main thing is they're there because Antarctica is thought of as one of the most isolated places that you can ever be. And that's Oh, sure. It, it works to, for the story. Yeah, yeah. That, that's like yeah. the only reason is like, yeah, the other things behind it, like you don't really care. But you get a sense of, at least from a personality standpoint, you also get a sense of their responsibilities um, and what they like lean into for kind of ownership. Like we have kind of Windows seems to run the radio and wants to do that. I love that there's and, a guy named Windows. Yeah. Windows. <laughs> <laughs> he never crashes. Um, and uh, <laughs> Blair, who's um, some some kind of fucking uh, whiz scientist who's got crazy computer algorithms that can, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> can, can predict when the world will be assimilated. Um, On what variables yeah, he, is this computer yeah, calculating yeah, that? Well, uh, I mean, you start with some cells, and it's yada, yada, yada. <laughs> yeah, and then from there, you just go. It's, this is especially at a time where, like, computer graphics, like, he, he had to sit there and write that whole thing to make the computer graphics. It wasn't like right. he entered something yeah. and it came up with graphics. Like he mm. had to program that in. I feel like he did that because he was like everybody else here. Well, one, I know he did that because audience needs to know and we don't want an exposition dump. Please. Thank you. <laughs> um, but two, because he's like, yeah, the rest of the guys I work with, they fucking wouldn't understand if they looked at all this data. McCready just dumped whiskey into a computer. I'm not going to risk <laughs> this. <laughs> yeah. But I, he keeps all that to himself. I, I do think like it, it Carpenter is clear to show that this group at this base is like misfits and outlaws. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, they all have various areas of expertise, but there's all like a screw loose with, with all of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of hostility, like already kind of there. They keep to themselves the most part. We should, we see them in different areas. They're not all in like a mess hall hanging out at the very beginning. It's like, they're all in their own quarters doing their own things. Uh, or in the kitchen. And just kind of slamming just, back J and B. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Watching old like, shows on VHS. And then switching out yes. the tape because you know what it is already. <laughs> yes, watching game recorded game shows. Yep. This is like the start of winter. And so it's possible that they're not as much the research crew as the like holding it down through the winter. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that these are definitely the, the people that would stay there even as researchers through the winter. Like don't want to be in the regular world. Yeah, like it. Yep. It seems that McCready is ex-military, um, and so is the captain. I forget what his name is. Which Gary? Uh, yeah, the dude with the pistol who shoots the dog. Yeah, with the oh. pistol. Yeah, or no, he shoots the Norwegian. Just yeah. Norwegian Gary. Yeah, yeah he Gary. shoots the Norwegian at the beginning. Yeah, the two of them are definitely like ex-military in some way, um, and 
McCready seems pretty like thousand yard stare. Like he's seen some shit and, and that's why he's so cool headed through all of this is like nothing phases him. Yeah. Keith David seems like he's probably ex-military too. I don't Childs? Know. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what he, yeah, that's he, true. his be. role really is there, but. But he's a hothead. Man, he's <laughs> so cool. I love Keith David. Oh, God. Yeah, Keith David's great. Um, and, and anything. I love him in this, and I love him in They Live. I'm yeah. like, yes, mm-hmm. please, more of this. More Keith David. This is his first, like, role, right? This think, is really early on. Yeah. First, first, like, a main role, I think. Yeah, yeah. he was club patron in Disco Godfather. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember seeing that when I watched Disco Godfather. Yes. And then, and then this. Gosh. So this would be his first, like, acting full acting role versus yeah Damn, he kills it i i really love the tension he brings between him and mccready specifically of course it seems like they're rivals yeah like mm. there's kind of an immediate knowledge of that as but also mccready is like he's the guy that he would that child child is the guy that he would trust the most with some of the tasks like when the dog kind of breaks out um in that kennel and mccready's just like tell childs to get the flamethrower um, and later he gives the flamethrower to like windows and he, he kind of assigns it to other people, but immediately he's like, get Childs to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, it, even though people are near him, he's like, you could go get it yourself. He just wants Childs to do it. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, that sequence. So yeah, let's, let's talk about some of the monster transformation, shall we? Let's talk about the, the first one with the dog. Mm-hmm. Um, I Lena as the, the newbie here, the first time watcher, what was your kind of, experience with that sequence so i knew clearly that something was going to happen right i just didn't expect the dog to turn inside out (laughs) (laughs) have you ever seen any pictures from this movie or anything did you have any idea Uh, what you were getting into i think i've i've you know i saw the guy uh that was just ahead as a spider Mm -hmm. you know i i and i'm sure that i've i have seen like pictures of the of the dog but i I was also trying to like, I I knew that I eventually wanted to watch this movie Mm -hmm. and I was trying to not spoil myself. Yeah. Yeah. The Uh, the cultural osmosis. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's pretty easy not to spoil yourself off of a a movie that came out this early, but yeah, with, with all of the like tendrils coming out of the dog and, uh, you know, wrapping itself around other dogs and uh, man, it, it really is quite a quite a spectacle yeah also like um the frequent kind of reduction of the score to let you take in these really haunting like kind of sounds mm-hmm. um the use of dog uh <laughs> dog pain screams and whines yeah um very I would unsettling. say yeah <laughs> that, that makes it so much more unsettling to hear the dogs like fucking losing it and then the mm-hmm. shots in there with the dogs like trying to get out the one that's like pulling at the fence and that's the one that they're clearly with, like, yeah. yeah, the one they're like spraying with a hose, like they legit spray that dog down, right, yeah. to get the reaction. Yeah. At the beginning, the dog gets like running through uh, outside. That helicopter goes over it and you can see it fucking freaks out. Yeah. And like ducks at like one point, like then they kept that in. But I was like, they use those dogs well when they could. And the, yeah. the main dog that we get. Yeah, I agree. Like the way that he's a little unsettling. It's a little weird, especially when he first goes in that kennel and you know, like something's up at that point, the way they are just staring at the wall. (laughs) Doesn't he sit, sit down in like a really weird way. He's like facing, he he like, he he like faces the wall with his like head still raised facing the wall and just like, 
I'm just waiting for you to leave yes. so I can... I'm just a dog. Yeah. I, this is how all dogs sit, correct? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the thing's internal monologue. Yeah, I, I'm sure that the, uh, like, pain screams definitely added to the whole, like, visceral feeling. But, Dixon, you listen to that stuff, like, regularly, right? <laughs> like, visceral screams? Yeah, visceral screams visceral of dogs? Screams. Yeah. <laughs> It soothes me as I go to sleep every night. My <laughs> hatred of dogs, it, it really fuels that. And... Right. Yeah. Mm. yeah, so that scene, you you had a completely different take, obviously. You felt nothing. Uh, no, oh, no I, I cried tears of joy. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, like the, the inside-out dog that surfaces, but also like how fast the thing starts to change to uh, in the sequence establishes like it's got a rapid pace of adaptation. Um, it's not just like, oh, it was going to clone a dog. It's like, no, for some reason, I, I love this movie because whenever the thing is found, it has this kill switch that it just engages where it's like, yeah. fuck it. I'm just going to scare the shit out of whatever's around me by doing these things. It's almost like uh, like how you, as a human being, you stand and you put your hands in the air to make yourself taller than something. <laughs> right. um, like, yeah, that'll scare a bear away or some shit like the things is just like, all right, just make this corpse convulse and erupt into something that nobody's ever seen before. That's no, I, I think that's a great point because, and, and that's, I think why I love this movie. Uh, and I, I do think that it, it is in particular better than, than alien because this alien never once like turns into like that creature from the black lagoon. Mm-hmm. Like it is always this like, haunting otherworldly like being that doesn't resemble anything that you've ever even thought to think of before, you know? I, and I think that's like the, the true quote unquote horror of it. It's a different cosmic horror. Like yes. with alien, the xenomorph will always be the xenomorph. It has like phases that it's been developed throughout the other movies, but all the phases are just, it's a smaller xenomorph that still spits acid and right. fucks people up. Um, but the thing yeah, could never... maybe evolve into something else. We have like literally no real idea about the rules of this creature. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We don't even know like what it is at its core, right? What is its like natural state? Right. We never see that. We only see it with, it seems to be obsessed with mouths. We only see it with like 10 yeah. mouths and screaming heads. Yeah. Several eyes whenever mm-hmm. it's the dog thing. Yeah. Sometimes it eyes. Yeah. Forms a bunch of those. And it also has a big ass spaceship that I guess it somehow can't fly at some point. Like it got really hammered one night and just <laughs> flew that into earth. <laughs> or it like, fuck maybe it. it busted open its host. And yeah. It or, yeah. I was going to say, yeah, maybe it, yeah. it took over that spaceship, right? Could have been that, like too. The, that was some other set of aliens. The thing got on there and they all slowly killed each other and then it crashed. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't want that movie. Hollywood. Don't try to make that movie, please. I want the <laughs> mystery to remain. <laughs> um, but yeah, like the, there's just so much that's unknown about it compared to the Xenomorph. And so like Alien is a narrative film. Like I have, uh, I don't know, I've never really tried to compare it to the thing because it doesn't feel the same to mm. me. And it feels kind of mm. unfair to try to compare these because also the crew of Ragtag, Outcasts and Alien has, um, they have their own marching orders. There's a bit more about like a, 
uh, a corporate machine driving a lot of that plot. Yep. And here this yeah. is like, this is just some dudes trying to hold down a scientific fort. And what do you do when this fucked up thing happens? Like how exactly are you supposed to handle the situation? So it, it ends up being a bit apples to oranges for me. Uh, and, and with what the creature actually is too, it's like, shit, I don't know. It, the fact that it leaves that Norwegian base in such a mysterious state, um, just really unsettling to see what they find a man who's like slit his wrists and is frozen, which was a really cool visual element to it. Like, yeah. Um, to, to have those kind of set pieces. I've seen so many schlock movies now that are clearly inspired <laughs> by checking out this base mm. um, because it's like, what could have happened on the ship? And then they walk around and there's like a few dead extras or like a mannequin. Uh, and, and it's not posed in any cool way. There but aren't like, like faces being pulled apart yeah, or melting together. Like, Unclear oh which direction. An that's immolated going. body that's just yeah. sitting there. And you're like, what the fuck could have happened with all this kerosene and everything? Like, mm-hmm. all right. uh, interesting, interesting way that they got that. That is the set that they blew up. So that's actually like the last thing they filmed was them going through the Norwegian base because it's the same base that we ah, see throughout the, that's great. the beginning. And there's like after it's wrecked, they just <laughs> film the Smart. scene of them going through the wrecked base yeah i mean that is one thing also about carpenter that is a admirable weird thing to appreciate is that he was always great with his movies and their respective budgets i would say with the one exception being escape from la but like uh (laughs) other than that like he usually delivered his movies at or under budget or like very close. And yet the studios continued to like cut money from him, even when like in the midst of filming, actually that's what happened with escape from LA. They, they cut budget uh, Mm. while he was making it. But, Mm. uh, and so I can, I can see John Carpenter being like, well, yeah, we'll just film the, We'll just film it after we explode it. Uh, but yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's a great uh, trivia piece. Yeah, um, this is just like yeah. three locations. Most of the that stuff is on a set in L.A. where they just got it really fucking cold and filmed all that stuff. And mm-hmm. added fog machines too, right? Yeah, yeah. threw a bunch of fog around. And then there's some like uh, British Columbia for some of the outside stuff. And they do some interesting things, especially that opening Norwegian helicopter chase that's in british columbia but they sort of seam it together to the other set for Mm -hmm. the helicopter coming in um to make it to trick you into thinking like oh we're still in this vast outdoors and not really realize how you came into the second set yeah you have that they put a lot of money into the to the creature work like that was i think it was like a million or a million and a half which was a ridiculous budget for for creature effect work Right. Um, yeah. It shows like Fucking this. Worth yeah. It. yeah, it's a lot more than Hellraiser got, and but <laughs> yes, <laughs> they, um, they used every last dollar of it, which makes me sad because the 2011 the thing I know there's a lot of people out there that are like oh it had it had practical and then at the last second the studio decided to do CG for like everything oh my god um, and mm. they it, it it tells the story of the Norwegian camp so you get to see the dude that becomes two fucking weird faces. And it's practical up to a point and then it just becomes full CGI. And they had several times where they show like the animatronics that were working for it. And I was like, that would have been fucking cool. Even if this movie was going to only be like mediocre, if you had that practical, it would have pushed yeah. it a little bit more and made it better. Uh, made me feel better about watching it. Um, I don't know. It just ended up being the thing, but worse. Uh, mm. So that was a real bummer. Was that the title? 
That was the, the title the thing, was colon, the thing worse. colon but that worse. Was, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. They're doing another one now. It's called the the thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just called thing. You got to drop thing. the <laughs> or or things. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God go. no, that's a different movie and that's terrible. <laughs> but actually, maybe they could make it better. I guess if they rebooted it. <laughs> um. Yeah. The the other kind of uh thing after the dog. So also with the dog sequence. We get a bit more in the moment panicking uh, as everybody's panicking and trying to kill the thing um, when it like hatches open its back and these big ass fucking claw arms come out yeah. and grab onto the ceiling and start to pull it up. Um, that's when you have a real oh shit moment, because I think in other monster movies, you're like, OK, what like the alien, it hops to the ceiling. Uh, these other things, they're, they're animals for the most part of their creatures that um live only in one localized space and they don't tend to break apart and continue to go. But this thing, um, even after they fucking burn it and they're like shooting it and shit, it's got another piece of it that's trying to get out. And as it continues to decompose through the rest of the movie and you learn sort of more of the rules of, Oh, like every individual cell within it actively acts in its own interest, but they all colonize together when they need to. That's, uh, something that's fucking crazy to think about in the scheme of other monsters. Cause it's, um, it reminds me of, uh, I recommended return of the living dead uh, a while back. And that's one where like the zombies, basically every piece of a zombie continues to move when it's disconnected from the body. That's something that's not really explored with other zombie films and things like that. Um, and it's one of those, it presents an even greater challenge of how do you fucking kill this thing? How do you, how do you do away with it? Um, so I, I found that to be an, like a mini twist, that has so many broad implications for the rest of the movie that you're like, fuck, this thing can just at any point break apart and go somewhere. Yeah. Um, and it, it makes it creepier, at least to me. Yeah. yeah you yeah. can't just cut its head off or, or shoot it. You have right. to destroy the entire yeah. thing, which the fact that it is fire that, you know, not definitively kills like any one representation of it, but it mm-hmm. does sort of take it off the chessboard, mm-hmm. so to speak. Uh, I think that that contrasts perfectly with the Antarctic, you know, nature of, of everything. And with, <laughs> with Kurt Russell, like coming in, you know, with a full snow beard, and, yeah. and, you know, like icy, like, oh, you left me out there. Yeah. Uh, that contrasting so much with the fire, uh, you know, I, I think it works perfectly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes it even more dire to, yeah. to do so much. And we also find out it's not just fire. You can't just burn it. You have to burn it for an extended period of time so that like the cells within the cells or like within the walls of the outs- exterior have time to crisp in as well and die. Right. Um, Why do they have so many flamethrowers on this scientific base in Antarctica? Uh, oh, Dixon, if you have to ask, <laughs> buddy, yeah. you can't afford it. Yeah. All right. <laughs> it's military funded science. Okay. What yeah, if must you blast be a flamethrower at a glacier? What happens? Yeah, we're studying yeah. global warming by participating <laughs> in it. <laughs> if I knock this entire glacier off, what will happen? <laughs> um, yeah, the the other thing, after that sequence, there's we kind of see uh, McCready acts. Um, he just shoots the other dogs, too. Like, he... Ha- is so many steps ahead of everybody else who's in shock yeah. mm-hmm. that he's just like, I got to kill these other fucking dogs, whatever this thing is. Um, I, c- and it's also because he saw what happened on the other base. Um, he doesn't really know entirely the story, but it's one of those things where he's like, look, I'm not going to fucking wait around. Um, I need to, we need to act. 
And the moment he shoots that one dog, that's when like Clark is like, no, my dogs. Um, and I, I felt bad for Clark, but I also was like, right. Clark, come on, man. Like, <laughs> you know what you're seeing. <laughs> yeah. But I, I do think obviously like Kurt Russell has this, he has this vibe throughout all of these movies, but especially John, John Carpenter movies where he is a blue collar guy that the audience can really uh, identify with and, and manifest their hopes and dreams onto. And I think that's the case here as well, but he is also uh, shown to be like a competent strategic thinker. But I, I think the, the way that they play around with that idea uh, is so interesting and, and different because it's almost like they're flirting with this idea that yes, McCready is smart, strategic, uh, intelligent, and, and can think multiple moves ahead, but He's also a, a guy like you and me who will dump whiskey in the in the computer and and you know make dumb chess mistakes. I've done that so many times. Yeah, <laughs> which I mean, yeah, that that chess interaction kind of sums up that to a certain point he can carry the strategy, and yes. then past that, there's not really. It's the same. It's like oh, he's just he's in the dark like anybody else might be, um, because th- th- we even see a scene later where. Uh, one of one of the other uh, crew members brings him out to have a conversation about something, and McCready's just like, "Look, man, I'm fucking tired. I just don't care anymore. I want to go to my shack and get drunk. Yeah, I just want to go get drunk." And it's it speaks to the fact that he's not super paranoid after they have killed the thing in the dog kennel. Right. It's kind of just like it's done. As far as I know, I think it's done. Um, they, they of course go back to the base, uh, the Norwegian base after, cause they watch like the videotapes that they find, which was very unnerving to mm. me, like seeing all of the, the crew, like around this, this ship. I, I just think that's a great shot. Yeah. That, that like footage, them watching the, it's like silent footage too, of just the expedition crew doing some shit around whatever that indention is. And then they're all like, all right, well, I guess we got to go investigate. Have y'all, have y'all seen Prince of Darkness? No, I haven't. Okay. Y'all absolutely need to watch Prince of Darkness because it's, I, I, I actually think like in terms of dread, Mm -hmm. uh, it has the same kinds of vibes as, as the thing. Uh, and the score is also similar or the, the, John Carpenter like score elements. Mm-hmm. And he also does a lot with uh, like a VHS um, a lot more. In fact, uh, with like this VHS footage, but I, I got similar vibes from the Norwegian crew footage. So y- y'all absolutely have to check that out. Prince of darkness. All right. Yeah. Noted. He made that, I believe right after uh, big trouble in old China. Okay. Which I also haven't seen Big Trouble. What? So, yeah, I haven't seen <laughs> yeah. that. So I'm going to have to watch that in <sighs> Prince of Darkness. Yeah. I haven't seen a lot of John Carpenter. Okay. But let's just this is coming from the guy who had never seen The Thing. Okay, Lane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I know. I want to see In the Mouth of Madness. That was the other one that. Me too. I know, I know a good bit about it, but I, I have never seen it. And I definitely want to watch it. Hmm. I, I have no idea what that is. So I'll watch it too. Ooh. I'm going to add that to my list. <laughs> I'll just go through a carpenter thing. I'll do that. That should have been my October thing, but Schlocktober takes a present. Yeah. <laughs> and just stop before Ghosts of Mars. That I have seen and 
Oh you yeah, know. Ghost of Mars. I heard it's so not much about that, that bad. It's not that. It's, it's not, not it's Ghost of Mars apologist. <laughs> yeah, no. it is it's boring. It's just boring. <laughs> but it's not it's not terrible. It's not terrible. It's not great, but it's 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 <laughs> fine. It, it's serviceable, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I actually I actually even like Escape from LA. I, I think it's hey. very campy and very corny, but it's good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. it's got its moments. I've seen some, uh, from what I've seen, some network television debuts of Escape from L.A. That I yeah. was like, oh, okay. This is fucking weird. <laughs> it is weird. <laughs> um, yeah, the the progression of uh, back in the Thing world, um, as we kind of, I, I'm curious, Lane, what were your thoughts after the first kind of monster exposure uh, when the crew sort of gets back to a, a like, all right, that was fucking weird. Let's tighten down a bit of our security. Um, what were some of your your thoughts, or Ryan as well? You're piecing together the continuity of this film uh, from all of the times yeah, you've right. seen bits and pieces. <laughs> Where how are you like kind of navigating? How are y'all piecing things uh, or, or predicting what what might happen next? Or what what was going through your heads? Yeah, I think that I knew the dog. Piece. I mean, I think that's one that you kind of just hear culturally, even if you haven't mm-hmm. watched it. It's kind of the thing that gets referenced, and it's it's sort of obvious in the beginning how it's building towards that. Um, whenever like the, the there's kind of the later bits where the the you kind of just get the snap of the thing just like grabbing somebody or whatever. That that I think those are the ones where it wasn't. I wasn't really prepared for those parts as much. Like that actually still snap. Like it was it was clear like. Okay, now we're all gonna suspect each other, mm-hmm. and like I kind of remember that where they like doubt each other and shoot each other or whatever, and then I kind of remember toward the end when it just is like, you know, the showdown with the monster or whatever. There's certainly this like middle chunk where it's it's suspicion, and then every once in a while we get a spike of like, oh crap, we figured out one of them is, you know, you, and then it kind of goes crazy, and then it comes back down again, and they're back to like, okay, we're down two more people, but who who could still be it? Like, and kind of keeps going. Yeah, the uh, yeah the ebb and flow of um, yeah we're in panic mode now we're in like assess the situation mode now we're right. back in panic mode. Well, and I also like the variance in mm. uh, the reveals. Like th- it's either like a fade to black, right, mm. and like clearly something has happened, but it's it's left ambiguous, or uh, a character like Wilford Brimley's character starts acting differently. Mm-hmm. Right or a character uh, like uh, I think is the character's name is Fuchs. Yep, Fuchs. Yep. Um, this guy Fuchs. Yeah, <laughs> uh, he you know is not really seen until his uh, glasses are in a in a fire, mm-hmm. uh, which I believe was cut for budgetary reasons, anyways. But uh, regardless, I I do think that that plays into the variance. Or there's like a full on stomach becomes a mouth and chomps down <laughs> on some arms. I just, I really appreciate that. It's not all like the shadow reveals himself and stabs in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. It's just not a giallo murder is what you're saying. Yeah. There's not gloves <laughs> that come out. And, oh man. Yeah. You, you do. You have that mix, right? Because when they first move the bodies and it turns out one of them is still kind of alive, I guess. Right. Mm-hmm. Right, and it grabs that guy like it, when he's by himself. It grabs one of them, and then Bennings, yeah, s- yeah, starts to do something to him. Like that's a more like now that we've seen the dog, 
and you see the thing laying there and you see it kind of move underneath the sheet like those that's sort of the classical setup towards that, something coming you, yeah you put that in black and white that's a b movie right there you can definitely right. see that particular sequence right but um, the tension of like the blood like testing the blood or the doing the autopsy and it just sort of happens mm-hmm. um and you kind of just don't know you 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 feel the tension but you're not even sure what's going to happen uh it, yeah it's interesting how it mixes up like kind of all of those classical horror type stuff and then more like sudden kind of yeah, out of left field almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's also disturbing when the thing takes somebody because it seems to take them in different ways. Like McCready notes at one point, I think it rips through their through your clothes when it gets you. Which um, I mean, that sounds super aggressive. But when we see Bennings, I mean, it is very aggressive. But when we see Bennings, he's like having a sexual experience with the thing. <laughs> <laughs> he's like naked on the ground and it's like writhing around him with its weird tongue feeler things. Uh, and I think windows is just like, Oh fuck. And like just leaves, which is exactly what my response would be. <laughs> like get the fuck out of this room. They need yeah. privacy. <laughs> or like when windows is basically eaten. Yeah. When is, when he gets hungry, hungry hippo yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. by uh Palmer. Yeah. yeah. That, that's, um, that, that we, we can talk about it in a second, but that reveal scene, I, I think is one of the best. in the movie. <sighs> yeah. So, cause it's, it's got such a great pacing and build to it. Yes. Um, the, the binning segment, the one thing that was kind of, well, one, uh, I really like whenever everybody goes into alert mode, it feels like it carries the audience with in this way where like my, uh, my level of tension having seen this movie, you know, four or five times, whatever, it still has the same impact on me. Um, I hold my breath at like the same scenes hmm. and I feel a similar kind of adrenaline rush when uh, McCready breaks open a fire alarm with a beer can that he was just <laughs> trying to grab from the fridge or that kind of, I'm just like, Oh fuck. Okay. It's happening. Um, right. But the binning sequence, when windows is like shit, something like it fucking got binnings. We got to go find binnings and they're running out into the middle of the snow and you just see binning sitting there. And uh, it just looks like him. It was like, Oh fuck. Yeah. It took over who he is. That camera turn is so cool. <sighs> it's is so it, like it good. just yeah, it just looks like him kneeling in the snow and you're like why are they all freaking out and it comes around and he's got these weird red bloody thing yeah. hands still. Yeah. And that's the last thing that hasn't been assimilated yet. <sighs> Which yeah. he almost seems to be like freaking out about, right? Uh-huh. Cuz I, I think that's one thing that's interesting to try to understand that it does appear the thing completely imitates you. Yeah. Right, that it at least like gets your memories probably or yeah. at least like understands like how to be a human or how to be a dog yeah and so yeah i almost wonder like the way he is looking and the way he's there if he's like i know this is fucked up like i don't understand what's going on like he's it's imitating yeah. but it still right. thinks as him or as a human there's also a question of like whether once you're taken over by the thing like is you, the thing thinking and moving you around or are you still in control of yourself and the thing just hasn't like fully taken over and you don't realize that you're under the influence of this entity. Like there are characters like Norris, who's just seems kind of like himself for, you know, most of the movie until that, you know, the autopsy scene happens. But I think there's a question of like, how aware is the host of what is going on and how much is the thing driving what the host is doing? Yeah. I think it's, I think it's ambiguous and Mm -hmm. I love it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And, and there's so much to, cause they have a brief discussion about it. And it's one of those things where this whole movie, it, it thrives 
in the ambiguity and yet my brain is compelled to try to apply certainty to all of sure, it. Yeah. The moment it ended, I was like, well, obviously McCready's not a thing because I was with him at the very end when he blew up the thing. But then when I went back and rewound it, the cuts are done in such a way that you don't see him emerge from the explosion. Mm. You don't see him get out of the base. Um, and he sits down with Childs to have a drink or whatever. Well, aliens notoriously hate whiskey. Uh, yeah, we all know <laughs> this. Yeah, that's why that's we're why drinking. <laughs> to prove the, it to the each the most other. Aliens and chess computers. <laughs> they can't stand whiskey. Yeah, when they build a whiskey-powered AI, we'll all be doomed. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the the... That thinking about that, looking at Bennings, because Gary and McCready have a whole conversation about it where Gary's like, I've known Bennings for like so many years. Like he's just he's a good friend of mine. Like we get kind of all of the we don't get any of the setup for that at the beginning. There's not like Gary and Bennings joking about whatever the fuck or talking about their families back home, whatever. It doesn't matter. There's none of that setup. It's all on the tail end after it's been done. Like they've already mm. killed Bennings. Right. And now they need to burn and desecrate his corpse. And Gary's like, this feels fucked up. I don't want to do this. Uh, we shouldn't have probably done that. We could have done something maybe. And McCready's like, look, man, that thing out there ain't fucking Bennings anymore. So it's like you get 1% of whatever the thing is in your bloodstream. You're the thing a hundred percent and you need to fucking eat it. Sorry. Uh, uh, and that's, that's terrifying to have to apply that certainty, but it's a necessity of survival. However, right. Blair takes that to an extreme and <laughs> fucking goes bonkers. I mean, with good cause, he watched his own simulation predict that the end of the world would happen in 27,000 hours. little red cell turned blue. Yeah, oh my God. Yeah, he's like, oh, well. <laughs> his, his, he starts building the noose. Yeah. His, like, fucking Apple II rendering of the opening yes. of the X-Men 90s movie. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and he just goes, I bet that takes a little while. That's a little simmer, too. Like, we see that simulation happening, and he's like, hmm. That's interesting. Uh, there's a little twinkle of a snap in his eye um, whenever that goes on. But we, we don't have time because they go back to investigate uh, the other base. And see well, for, first, I want to talk a little bit about the autopsy of the dog thing. Oh, like, yeah. Like Blair is doing that, right? He's doing the autopsy of the thing. Yes. Like, he's like the smartest person in the world. Like he just opens up this weird, massive thing full of bones and flesh and shit. And he's just like, hmm. This isn't dog. It yeah. must be copying dog. Yeah. And therefore, it's just he like immediately establishes all the rules about the entity well, like, right away. <laughs> I mean, they're also, I think, referencing the uh, like notebooks from the Norwegian crew. But mm -hmm. he is pulling out like, you know, and we we see mm -hmm. it. <laughs> yeah. Here's a heart. Very grotesque. Yeah. Here's, scene. Here are the organs. It's everything, you know, that's part of a dog and also all this extra stuff. Yeah, <laughs> they, they did because they do an autopsy as well on the uh, like weird two faced humanoid thing. Right. right. And right. They're like, oh, it's got human yeah. organs yeah. and like, here's all this other shit. But this thing doesn't fucking look like any human that would have been in that base. So they're, they're compounding all this evidence. Um, yeah, there there is a lot of kind of uh, you got to do fast and loose science in uh. a situation like this. And for me, I was like, good enough, Blair. Good enough. You're doing good. Yeah. As long as you're being very cautious about, oh, fuck, it must be imitating all these things. I remember he held up a bone, right? And he's like, 
Nope, mm. that ain't dog. <laughs> yeah, it's like clearly this is not a dog bone. Just looking at a Did blood covered bone, like <laughs> think like you know. Granted, we don't know that this thing like how it transfers over, but he's doing this autopsy sans gloves on the dog. <laughs> he was know? no, he was wearing gloves, but he they were only gloves, they were like you know to the wrists, and he was like yeah. reaching to yeah, the elbow, he got all the elbow deep, thing. Yeah. using the whole fist dock. And like, <laughs> <laughs> just yeah. Um, yeah, people are pretty. I mean, it's also like anytime they have to deal with something, like uh, I think Fuchs goes out into the cold right before Fuchs is killed too. He picks up like McCready's clothes or something. Mm-hmm. There, there is a lot of uh, the tightening of protocol occurs throughout the film. They don't just shut everything down. They're very slow to react to a lot of the circumstances because they really don't know what they're dealing with. But also, it, it's one of those things where. I never once felt like they weren't being prudent. Um, it didn't, it wasn't one of those things where it violated the audience's kind of rationalization of things. You're like, yeah, you see the thing burned and you're like, okay, well I guess it's like done or maybe there's something still out there. Obviously the movie's got mm. some more runtime to it, but you really don't know how or why. And you're not like, why aren't they doing this? Why aren't they doing that? It really is. It feels just like watching to Lane's point about kind of getting a blue collar person. That's, uh, very relatable. There's just that relatability in all of the characters and their actions. Yeah. Um, when they panic, you're like, oh shit. Um, to, you, you might be like, don't fucking, you're ruining it for everybody. But at the same time, completely reasonable to crack under that kind of pressure. Yeah. And, and trying to grab a gun or something. And even when you are familiar with like the rules of these things ahead of time, because like I knew that there was like this assimilation component even mm-hmm. prior to watching this movie. And surely, you know, having watched it, four times or two times her sporadically on, on network television or in other, other venues. Right. Like even with that knowledge, I think that there's a dramatic irony that plays itself well to the buildup of dread that I I think still works, even if you are really familiar with it. Yeah. And it it can ensnare you like it, it does for me. Like I just fall back into kind of that comfort zone and then immediately into that panic mode whenever they, like when they're burning it, bending also because of the visually distinct and disturbing imagery, it really distracts me from remembering other parts of what happens next yeah. at times. It's just in that moment. I'm like, holy shit. Uh, I forgot that this looks this fucking like great. And at the same time, this monster is fucking terrifying. Um, it's such a great uh, utilization like that. That 22 year old visual effects person that works seven days for a year fucking earned every point of acclaim. He literally, at the end of the movie, he collapsed and had to go to the hospital. Jesus. Like, he was just, he put everything he had into the movie. He said that he was just so into it, didn't even notice how ill he was, and Carpenter was like, you don't look so good. Why don't we get you to the hospital? <laughs> I on a, on a related note, I want David Cronenberg to make a movie about that guy. <laughs> I feel like it would, it would lend itself well to losing yourself into some kind of body horror. <laughs> Um, he was an interesting interview that he was just, he super, he kind of looked like Ryan and he was just like very excited <laughs> about all the special effects stuff and just really into it. And just, he had way higher energy than anybody else <laughs> they interviewed for the film. Love that passion. That's awesome. Yeah. He oh, worked man. on a ton of stuff. Like he went on to work on, uh, I was going to say, I, I kind of first was thinking about these effects and it made me think of, um, total recall because there's a little oh, bit of yeah. and, and he yeah. did he did the effects for total recall okay. so like the eye popping that. and stuff at the end yeah, yeah. i can see that with so, norris's head yeah i definitely see a similarity yeah. yeah he worked with john carpenter he worked a lot with uh verhoven 
Um, but yeah, he, he worked with Fincher. Like he did some of the stuff for Seven and so like, oh, he did he did a ton legend. of stuff. All after of the this. detached well, heads. He's obviously great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. right. <laughs> Man's all, made every spider head you've ever seen. In a movie. <laughs> Continues. <laughs> um, I need to know this person's name. Do do we have a name? Rob right now? Rob Botten. I don't know. How to yeah, that's last it. B o t t i n. The botanist. Cool. I'm adding <laughs> that to my list along with Dan O'Bannon. I had, Dan O'Bannon did Alien uh, and uh, like did a fucking phenomenal job and did a lot of other things too that were, were pretty killer. Um, so Rob Botten got it. Uh, the what what is it? We're we're. Blair basically we're Blair breaking down in terms of our conversation. Yeah, he's right. kind of starting to go crazy when he realizes that he thinks the whole world's going to be taken over by the thing and he starts acting very erratically and like fucking up the office with an axe and uh then they're like oh shit we got to we got to quarantine this guy cuz he's going nuts and they they put him out in that shed. For good cause and I mean like for good cause on them and for good cause on him too. Right. Like, I think mm-hmm. if you found out that in 27,000 hours, this thing would assimilate and you know already the timeline for pickup and recovery. And you also know all the other schematics of your base of operations and everybody's doing all the shit. Uh, you would go down this fucking paranoid anxiety, uh, fun slide that would lead you (laughs) (laughs) to to like, I'm going to fucking rip out all of the electronics from our transports. Just like the slide down from his shed into into the snow cave. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, taking an axe to the radio. Yes, and and taking a gun to his coworkers, I suppose. I'm not going to hurt you. I'm just going to bash your brains in. The fact that he also, um, the way that they disarm him, too, is kind of brilliant to watch the crew try to take him out. Yeah. Because um, they, they still recognize what he's doing, that he snapped, and that they don't want to kill him. Right. In a, um, in a schlockier film, it's easier to just to do away with that character and be done with it and be like, Oh, that was scary. Like you've used that for just one moment of anxiety, but here it's like, no, 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 we need to preserve like this crew really wants to keep everybody together because the more humans you have, uh, the like more people you have potentially against whatever the thing is, but you also have more hosts for the thing. Those trade-offs there and, uh, watching McCready and Childs try to kind of pincer move, um, and eventually like also, uh, Ryan, I wonder if you laughed whenever Blair threw the gun. Um, yes, I was, no, I was going to ask you about that too. <laughs> yeah, he I, fires all the bullets and he yes. throws the gun at him. Yeah. I'm I always, always that. reminded of, uh, the fucking episode of the venture brothers Venture where the brothers, dude throws yeah. his gun and his, his like fucking goon companion is like, got more bullets, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 gotta stop doing that. And he's yeah. like, yeah, it just looks so cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, like they, they come in, like McCready grabs a folding table uh, yes, and, yeah, and yeah. <laughs> uses it properly as a shield, I guess, <laughs> against this fire axe. Uh, it's just this rad moment of um, thinking on the fly and trying to use something to, to really disarm him. Because uh, I don't know, like in a lot of the movies, it's more of there's more of us than there are of him. Like, let's let's get him and uh, that kind of attitude. And usually the escalation is once the gun's gone, now we can tackle him or some shit like that. But the fact that Blair is dual wielding weapons, uh, <laughs> in, in a way also ratchets that up of like, Oh shit. It all happens in the blink of an eye too. Mm-hmm. It's so fast how they disarm him. Mm-hmm. Um, and McCready punches him enough, like the, the, the enough amount of times because somebody else is like, good shot McCready. Uh, I guess he'd, like really hit him hard in the head and knocked him unconscious. 
Um, but yeah, like that whole sequence going down, it's like, all right, well, uh, fuck, we're not leaving and we can't communicate with anybody and we're going to put Blair in timeout in the tool shed. <laughs> uh, we're, we'll give him like... You need f- to think about what you've done, mister. <laughs> You're in timeout. <laughs> give him a 16th of whiskey and nothing else. Like, God, just give him like a board game or something. <laughs> or like a some Playboy food. magazine, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right, some food. I do think it's interesting, right, having Blair, like we see this and as an audience, we're like, oh, he's tearing everything apart because he doesn't want it to escape to the world. Like he's willing to sacrifice them all. He's some sort of scientist. Yeah. Um, to then when he, we eventually get back around to him at the end, be like, okay, well, was he, was he doing that or was he already he, the thing? And he was trying to fuck their shit up and pretend like it was this, like, yeah, again, it adds to this like ambiguity around what the thing is and how much agency it has. Yeah. It's like the only certainty that you really have in this movie is that there's going to be less people as it progresses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's really right, all right. you can count on. Um, and even in retrospect, you're like, wow, there were potentially less people earlier in the film than I thought there might've been. (laughs) And we'll say though, it's interesting early on, they point out like, uh, I I think it's McCready that essentially says like, well, if all of you were the creature, you just kill me. Right. So I know some Mm -hmm. of us are still, uh, good. That's when he burns, uh, Bennings. Yeah. I like that. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And logically they should realize like okay we should break into like probably at least groups of three like never mm-hmm. two of us but like at least three and no like so many times you're just like all right you go off by yourself or you two go over here like they keep splitting up and getting back together mm-hmm. well and then yeah. as the movie goes on their numbers get smaller and so they're kind of forced to do that as, yeah. you know there are like five of them Look, left that's why you always have to have a plan if you do encounter an alien that can perfectly <laughs> <Yes>. assimilate, <laughs> should always have that. It's your your uh, plan R uh, or your <laughs> whatever Wing else. Wing attack you plan R. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, is that like your? You have to have like a um, a time travel question, some kind of question that you only you know would answer. <laughs> yeah. So that if you meet yourself in time travel, like you'll know. There's, yeah, I, I, I feel like there's a few tapes that McGruff recorded on both of these subjects uh, back in the 90s. He taught me about crime and strangers in case they were trying to assimilate you. Tra- remember, a time-traveling stranger shows up. Yeah. <laughs> remember no. what your father told you on your wedding day. <laughs> if you ever get traveled back in time, don't step don't on anything. Whenever McGruff the crime dog does turn inside out, though, <laughs> it's oh my grotesque. God. McGruff the crime dog being a thing would be oh it's fucking great oh man I'd like love it. to see that <laughs> um yeah after after Blair goes uh kind of uh cuckoo banana brains crazy and knocks a bunch of shit out with good cause for himself and and everybody else kind of I guess uh and they've locked him away with a can of beans and uh, a flask full of courage um <laughs> and they go back in like there's that whole segment where McCready's like, look, he finally is trying to he's like, all right, I'm going to get serious. Uh, fuck, like we need to figure out which one of us is the thing, because somebody else is like, well, shit, we should just wait until the rescue arrives. Um, and he's like, no, that's not what we should do, because we leave everything up to chance. And right. We could be assimilated. Um and Blair just told McCready, like, watch out for Clark because he was around those dogs. And so mm-hmm. there's all this suspicion. 
around his character, and the dog was running loose around the compound for like 24 hours before it actually revealed itself yeah. as the thing. So it's like you're, you don't know, like, holy shit, all of these people could be things until Russell makes that speech, and you're like, oh, yeah, there's like at least two humans, I guess, but un- unclear how infected they are. Yeah, there's there's also like a we get a shadow shot when the dog's running yeah. around of somebody who's like petting it or very close to it. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah, we see a like a, a shadow of a person and the dog goes into that room. Mm-hmm. And I saw that Carpenter pati- like purposely pick someone that's not in the cast to be the person that cast that shadow. So uh, you have no nice. clue who nice. that dog went to, though, reasonably the first person that we see turn into the th- to the thing. Uh, I can't remember which of the characters. He's the one that the dog actually jumps up onto right away. So it <laughs> it might be moot, whatever the shadow oh, touching was, because like maybe the dog got him like right away. Because we don't even know. I think if it's just, like is a the single first hair person, or blood right? or something. Well, there's one who's the like the dog like bites a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's like, oh, ouch. Uh, I guess so. No, he like is brushes it? against his leg, doesn't he? That's that's the. But he does say ouch, right? He does I say thought, ow, thought... but I think he's he got shot. And so I think he got shot in the leg, and I think the dog like bumped by him, and that's when he's like, "Put him in the kennel." Mm. But he's not the first one; he's the one that gets like choked out sexually or whatever you want to say yeah, later. Yeah, yeah. Bennings, and the, there's Bennings, and but then Bennings it's was Norris. attacked by the dog carcass thing. And, yeah, it's, yeah, it's Bennings, then it's Norris, then it's Palmer uh, mm. in, in the order. That how did how did Norris go again? Norris had a heart attack whenever McCready breaks back in to the storage room. Oh yeah. And yeah. knocks him back and then he dies. And that's when they're doing, it's not an autopsy. They're the, doing they the, uh, the electrodes. The yeah. They're trying yeah. to bring him back to life. And Dr. Mm-hmm. Copper, Dr. Copper, uh, <laughs> he, his arms get fucking eaten, which gets me every time somehow. Oh, I, it's I, so I good. Know, that's that. Uh, I, just yeah, I don't remember me. that scene. So I don't think I've seen that one before. So yeah, that really yeah. surprised me. Yeah, too. That, I hope that, that really scene cool is effect. cut from the TV edit. I don't know that if they're going like, to show that on oh, TNT. Yeah. That whole thing, because you go from like that to the head, like that's all one yeah. piece, right? You go from the hands getting bitten off right. all the way to like they're burning the head with legs outside. It must just cut when you watch it on TV. Like he has a heart attack, and then it's like, well, we'll return to the thing right. after these messages, yeah. and then you come back, and it's like later, and we don't we even gotta find out what they're happened. At the test, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're, yeah, they're I mean right to dip in blood. <laughs> the thing has been edited for format and time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> oh man, did y'all know that uh, for Doctor Copper, uh, we nearly had uh, William Daniels playing that role, aka Mister Feeney. No, oh. I would have loved to see Mr. Feeney after Mr. No, uh, Mr. No Legs. <laughs> He's not in that, but there's a character who looks very much like him. So yeah, like, yeah. continuity wise, been like, oh, he went on to do this. Oh my gosh, that would have been interesting. Yeah. I would have looked at that. Would have changed my Boy Meets World view. My yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to do that, but I, I did. could tell you accidentally said that and then realized that. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, this was, I think, pre-Saint Elsewhere. Mm. Um, he was still trying to, to get himself out there, I guess. But he, yeah, he wanted to. He auditioned for it and just wasn't, didn't end up being chosen. Damn. Uh, oh, well, Dr. Copper was still well represented, I felt like. Yeah. Felt to me like a good doctor. Yeah, no, the, the actor did a good job. Mm. Yeah. They, uh, I also think we, we skipped over kind of mentioning that uh, they did try to figure out a plan. They constantly are trying to figure out a plan to identify the thing. And the first thing that the doc thinks of is, yeah, I've been thinking about this. Maybe we do a blood serum test. Maybe we get all the blood types that we have and 
compare them with current people's like blood level and whatever. We see if there's a reaction when we mix them, but somebody's broken into their blood vault and drained all of the blood that right. have been there. Which I'm kind of curious. Is it that they? I guess the now it makes more sense now that I think about it. I'm like, why would you keep your own blood? But it's in case anything happens to you that you really need a transfusion from yourself. Yeah, you don't know who else has your blood type and you know, right. stuff. Sure, fine. Uh, that that makes perfect sense. Um, but yeah, at that moment, it's like shit. I felt like there was still enough blood in those bags, but I'm also going to write that off. There's also fine. a lot of blood on the floor, and I was like. You couldn't you just take some of that? It doesn't really matter whose it is, right? And then just take blood from each person and put it in that and see if it does it. Perhaps. I, yeah. I think also, you know, there's perhaps this idea that you could compare, like, actual samples. One that, to one. Yeah. Right, yeah. Um, yeah. Clearly that, like, the purest version of that experiment is not possible. But it seems like there's maybe something they still could have done there. But they're too busy pointing fingers and trying to figure out who's happening. Another thing where you're like caught up too much in the actual tension of what's happening. And it's this like, you know, nobody has time to really sit and think about that. And it, Mm. even the audience as an audience member, like in retrospect, I'm thinking about this, but in the actual scope of runtime, I'm like, I, Nope, I don't fucking think about any of that. I just want to know what's going to happen next. Right. Uh, Yeah. And there, uh, the lock is not broken. So like it either has to be, the the general guy, whatever his fucking Gary. name, Gary, or Gary. it has to be the other, the doc who always just asks him for the key to get the blood whenever he needs it, which seems like a flawed system. But <laughs> so like it has to be one of those two guys, and so they assume that they, the two of them are are things as well as Clark, the dog man, and so they tie them all together. And, and imprison them in one of the rooms and, and just well, try to dump full, dump them full of Clark. morphine. Yeah, they. Clark? Yeah, they uh, take all three and they morphine them and tie them up, right? Yeah, yeah. Ex- or is it or the no, whoever because, runs for the gun, yeah? Yeah, because Yeah, Clark, it's whoever runs for the gun and they, that's the other one they tie Windows. up. Windows? It's um it's yeah. they tie up uh let, let me think about it. Yeah. I, I don't remember who they who they morphine up, but I know Pretty sure it's those three. Clark at least gets like a scalpel at one point to come and like fucking try to kill McCready, and that's when he gets shot in the face. That's I that's later that's after he later. gets yeah, untied. Yeah. Test. Okay. Yeah, mm. yeah. They they do a few samples and they're like, all right, well, fine. Okay. I guess you're not going to react. That's their initial theory, right? As we give you morphine, it might fuck your shit up, and maybe the thing will react. No, I think it's more. Yeah, just it's sedate. just sedate. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Now? Take yeah. him off the table. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm back on. Which, I'm back uh, on the same page. Yeah. <laughs> I will say that was interesting to be like. Yeah, but the whiskey removes a few of those. Again, in their poor logic, I'm like, okay, one of these guys is the thing, right? One of them has been infected. Mm-hmm. We'll tie those two people up, and then we'll go do other things. <laughs> yeah, now we're going to do right whatever. again. No one, no one watches that we know we can trust or know is human, or we don't like immediately zero in on like let's solve this problem. Yeah, and, and instead they're like, we got to go check on Blair again, right? And see what he what he's up to, and even when they go check on Blair, he's like. I'm all good now. I can come out. Let me come out, please. Come on. I'm totally fine. Ignore this noose that's <laughs> swinging in front of the little window on the door. I already <laughs> contemplated it. I'm not going to do it. I just use it for masturbation purposes. Yeah. That's all. <laughs> I have a noose making hobby. <laughs> yeah. I figured I picked up rope tie. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And in that moment too, we get more ambiguity injected in as uh, they're, they're heading back and McCready's like, we got to go check out my cabin, which like fair. Oh, because the lights on. Because the lights on. I know I turned it off the other day, but still, 
in the logic of it, I guess he wants to strike while the iron's hot. Sure. But you're breaking up the band of three and you should really go back to base and let them know you're going to go investigate your place. Uh, instead, he's just like windows. You, why don't you just go on your own and me and, and Nalls are going to go check it out. And then Nalls comes in later and is like, shit, I left McCready cause I found his tattered rags in right. the like oven or something on furnace. His, the furnace. Yeah. Right. Um, which were also like, that's what Fuchs found was McCready's tattered rags earlier too. Right. We have no idea what happened in between when Fuchs found it and immolated, like self-immolated. We have no idea what happened here either. And it's just like, wait, what the fuck is going on? Because McCready continues to insist he's human, insists not, whatever. Um, also, in, in the scope of a movie where there's not really one person you can latch on to, but McCready is the person I latch on to most because he's got yeah. no screen time. Mm. It really and he's Kurt Russell. Ma- yeah, he's Kurt Russell. It yeah, makes yeah, me right. <laughs> really contemplate. I was like, man, I'm doubting McCready now. <laughs> like, I don't know if I trust him. Uh, Russell said in, in an interview that the script was originally written where everybody kind of had equal screen time and there wasn't really a main character. And then he's like, yeah, we had to change that because we had a wardrobe problem. Like everybody's wearing like parkas and stuff is very similar and you couldn't really tell who was who in some of the scenes. So we had to make it more focused on my character. And I was like, no, they cast Kurt Russell. And then they're like, well, it's fucking Kurt Russell. Like we have to make him a bigger role, (laughs) (laughs) which I'm all for, you know, that's great. I love Kurt Russell. His beard in this movie, by the way, it's so good. (laughs) Yeah. Honestly, the I beard, the, the hat, you mentioned the hat earlier. Lane. We might need a separate podcast to just talk about the hat. It's like a like a cowboy hat or a park ranger hat with a fucking Dude, huge wide know. brim yeah. that is folded up on all four sides. And I don't know why the fuck he has that or what purpose Ugh. it serves, but he seems to wear it most of the time when he goes outside. Well, it's his helicopter hat. Uh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Classic helicopter hat. Keeps the sun out of your eyes. Yeah. It's like it doesn't. A, a the brims <laughs> are all folded up. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's what I can only describe as a, a consistently floppy throughout every fiber sombrero. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's um, great. I love it. Yeah. It seems really soft. Very comforting. <laughs> yeah. The uh, moment that they kind of come back to, like whenever Knowles comes in and they're letting him into the, they let him in. They don't let McCready in. There's a bit of like Childs doesn't want to let McCready in. Childs is the one who's in charge, it seems. Childs thinks that no one could have possibly made it back in the snowstorm without a guide line. Yeah. And Nalls pushed him off the guide wire or cut it or something. Cut it loose, so he's yeah. like, there's no way that he could have actually made it back to base without being able to follow the, the line. Yeah. And uh, so the lights are on in the base. So. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the, if you got close enough. The storm doesn't seem to be that thick. That, you know? like, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I have a harder time. I'd have a more... It, they can easier see... To believe we actually like, see them yeah. looking out the window, and they can see his yeah, uh, hut, yeah. right? I, I have <laughs> an easier time believing that in like the context of The Hateful Eight, where it is actively really fucking hard to see anything outside. But that might mm. also be because... This movie, if uh, it looks like it shoots day for night uh, in a lot of sequences, where there's kind of just like the blue lighting that they need for that kind of, and I mean with good cause, mm. it, it's it's justified. You kind of want a more stylistic. You want to be able to see things at any point, and Carpenter has a good control over the light and shadows in any one sequence to to sort of share, um, expose what he wants to to the audience at any point in time. Uh, but yeah, like McCready comes breaks back in 
through the storage room, which nobody thought about. They were like, this is the one door we could keep him out. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, And he, uh, rightfully so, breaks in the supply closet and grabs that dynamite and is like, I'll fucking light everything up with like a flare. I'm going to do it. (laughs) I swear. Uh, Pretty badass. Yeah. Really badass play. Threatens to commit suicide with dynamite and just destroy everyone right there along with him. Uh, Honestly, like, uh, it's one of those things where even that can't prove that he's human necessarily, (laughs) but it's like, wow, the thing is really either willing to go to extreme lengths if it's McCready or McCready is willing to go to those lengths. Uh, as we'll find out later when he fucking shoots, uh, uh, Clark in the face that he's not bluffing when he says he'll do these things. Uh He's not, he has no hesitation, uh, beyond like a certain point. He's, he's not going to be like, all right, I'm I know there's, I don't know if it's like an actual saying or anything, but it's like if you aim at somebody, you better have the intent to kill. Basically, it's like, oh, you know, if you're going to stand your ground, stand your ground. Otherwise, you're fucking bluffing in some weird way. I don't remember if I've heard it in like Republican movies at this point. Like, like if you come for the king, shit. you best not miss. Yeah, that, that kind yeah. of shit. I just know that mm-hmm. that's perpetuated uh, in a lot of ways. And nah, this is so cool. A demonstration. <laughs> yeah, it's fucking rad. <laughs> um. But but it is one of those things where, like, in most of the uh, altercations I've seen in movies, it's like the moment a character hesitates, that's when everybody overtakes them. And even when McCready sort of hesitates on the dynamite, he's flanked is what happens. He doesn't really hesitate. He's just trying to negotiate. Right. And so Nulls and uh, Norris come up behind him. He is able to, like, perfectly defend himself, uh, hit uh, Norris into a heart attack, I guess, um, with the, the fury of his <laughs> well, elbow. He was, he was already <laughs> he was saying going down. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and prior to that, he was like, Oh, I don't feel so good. Oh, yeah. You know, <laughs> I've got a thing inside me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was saying that very loud. Yeah. <laughs> My tummy's they were like, got sh- jaws. Yeah. <laughs> they were like, shut up, Norris. You're something weird. <laughs> it's funny because like Norris's line, whenever windows breaks down earlier and grabs like the, sh- he tries to go for the shotgun. I keep thinking you're talking about shitty software uh <laughs> <laughs> what norris no, <laughs> when windows breaks oh, when down. windows yeah <laughs> our windows and our mac yeah uh. whatever whatever windows blue screens it goes for the shotgun <laughs> um, yeah like uh they're all like we need a we need a leader and uh gary's like fine you don't think that i'm not fucking leader somebody else could take my gun and like uh he's like well here norris you should do it and norris in that moment is like I don't think that I'm up to it. Oh, shucks. I don't know. Yeah, shucks. Guys. Gee, boss, I'm not really ready for that. Yeah. And in the context of like Norris as a character, we have no idea. Real, we don't know anybody's personality except through the lines of dialogue, kind of the interactions they have. They don't say these things outright. Norris seems a bit in his delivery kind of nervous about everything that's going on. Yeah. But also if he is the thing, uh, the thing doesn't want to be the leader because it's probably harder to navigate some of the circumstances who knows maybe although i i also buy into what dixon was saying earlier with respect to you know to what degree that the 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 thing actually employs agency over its host every time yeah he may just be like either not a confident person or like they seem to look up to him right because they just say i assume no one would object if we put norris in charge yep. and he he feels like something's wrong you know so it and we don't even know if he's been infected at that point right we yep. have no idea yeah, but if know. he has been then it would i think it would imply that he does have some level of agency over himself at that point 
because it seems weird that the thing wouldn't take that opportunity and to, take yeah. the lead. I don't know. It, it, and it all comes back to that ambiguity of like, how exactly is it going to try to operate? But like in the context of once you learn after Norris has his heart attack and they try to resurrect him and he find out he's a thing, like, holy shit. Uh, even when he's saying those things, it's like, well, does he know then or not? Does the thing know? And it doesn't want to. And it's this. It doesn't matter yeah. to the rest of the progression of the film, but it in its way is it adds an interesting layer to yeah. previous dialogue. It's interesting to try to go back and think about it, because was Blair already infected when he goes crazy on everything? Um seemingly Gary like Gary ends up infected so mm-hmm. he was the one that sabotaged the blood and then it look or e- either way it was Gary the wasn't that sabotaged Gary the wasn't blood, right? until later it, during the test they clear Gary mm-hmm. right could be could have been Palmer they, or, yeah, yeah Palmer. so whoever sabotaged the blood though like was the thing Palmer, right probably? so yeah pa- so yeah I think it was Palmer. He, the My, thing was hears them talking about using a blood test and is like oh well that's gonna suck for me so I'll go <laughs> fuck that fuck that up <laughs> yeah. yeah like they, blood yeah tests. yeah so it's it's interesting like how far would it think I don't yeah. know among us uh strategy tells us yeah don't don't make yourself the leader if you're trying to hide because you'll get extra you'll get so much you get more scrutiny, more scrutiny. as a leader mm-hmm. um, for, for your decisions and who you're, you know, it's one of those things where uh, nobody, for some reason in Scooby-Doo, nobody questions Fred for wanting to split up with Daphne all the time, but we all know what's going on. <laughs> um, but you should still get that scrutiny. Like that's an exception. Narrative He's putting right? that thing inside. Her. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, that's why we know that the thing could not survive today. Cause yeah. you know, moment one, it would be declared sus, but all these <laughs> Gen Z's. <ears. laughs> They would obliterate it on uh, Twitter lane. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is totally sus, dude. <laughs> we we may not be able to kill it, but we can cancel the fuck yeah. out of it. <laughs> we can make it. If it doesn't exist on Twitter, it's not real. <laughs> they run an ad campaign that the thing is not Gucci. Is the like boomer response to it? <laughs> oh my god. Um yeah, the the after McCready kind of breaks in and is holding everybody hostage. He has like this, uh, like I'm fucking blow everybody up. You don't fucking believe me. I'm going to do it. Like he's, he's manages, he manages to regain control of the situation Yeah, and get everybody tied to a chair. Um, of course, Clark has his own intention, grabs a scalpel, uh, when they're in the medical room, kind of trying to do the, the defibrillation, uh, for Norris. Uh, and then, um, after the excitement of Norris becoming a, a monster thing, which is a fucking rad scene. So good. Oh uh, my God. Just the, the like also the tension build up to, because one, you really don't think for a second that Norris might be a thing. If he just died of natural causes, mm-hmm. it's kind of like a moment of shit. He really did just have a heart attack. Right. Let's try to defib him. Is he going to bring him back? What's going to happen? And on that like second count, when he goes into defib and just his arms get fucking eaten off by stomach mouth. That's things. just such a great misdirection because he's pushing down real hard on that chest to try to bring him back to life and his hands just go straight through his fucking chest and then those teeth 
come out and start. Well, like you, you think that there's going to be something that happens, but you think it's going to be his mouth from like mouth to mouth resuscitation, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And so you're like, Oh no. And you know, I've never seen the, this movie before. I've never seen this part. And you're exactly right. When he's pushing mm-hmm. on the, on the chest and suddenly he's like, Oh no, my hands. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the the interview with the special effects guy, he talked about how they did that, and they found a guy who was like the same build who had his arms lost in an accident, like just past the elbow, and they made a mask that looked exactly like the actor doing the defibrillator. Oh, um, yeah. yeah, and they put that on him, and they kind of like dim the lights a little bit, so like yeah. you can't really tell that it's a dude in a mask, and they made arms out of jello, and, oh <laughs> and had like the contraption you know, snap and, and break the arms. And it sounds like just like that whole scene. is just so crazy to me that they were able to pull that off. And the special effects guy was talking about it. He's like, we had one take cause it was just all, you know, you got to do this once and then it's done. If it doesn't work, then you're fucked. And he said like they were on the day shooting, they're ready to go the one take. And then the, ch- the chest like broke and it like didn't work properly. Oh and Carpenter was like, what the fuck are you, are you kidding me? It didn't work. And they had to rebuild the whole thing. And they, they had to finish the shooting that day. So they spent like five or six hours rebuilding everything oh and had to run it again and thankfully oh got it to work wow. on the second take. That's Hollywood, baby. They're lucky yeah. there weren't any child actors that had to be in the scene. Yeah. <laughs> I read that about the mask and I went back and looked and I was like, oh, okay, you can kind of like when you look for it, which obviously you're not paying attention to the face yeah. in that scene. Right. Watch yeah. the right. hands, kid. But it, yeah. it was the same thing we we talked about with being John Malkovich. Like I went back and I looked at that and I was like, wow, you can totally tell mm-hmm. like that it's a bunch of John Malkovich masks. But you're so just in the moment in the scene that that just goes right by yeah, you. Yeah, and they're only focusing the camera on the one that isn't wearing mm-hmm. a mask. Right, yeah. 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 Um, but that the evolution of that sequence, because again, anytime the thing shows up or is identified, it just goes fucking full ham on how gross it can get and what it can do. And we also, it continues to build on itself in this compounding way. Like we learn that it keeps some trace of whatever it's adapted to previously. Um, And in this sequence, it's like, well, fuck it. Uh, I know that once they find me out wherever like my mouth is or whatever it is, like I need to break away already. Like I need to break off. They killed the dog thing and I barely escaped and climbed out. I need to do this too. Uh, And so like Norris's head just starting to, also, the terrifying, consistent scream that's like the same pitch. Ah! Yeah, it just yeah. goes. Holy shit, Lane's a thing. <laughs> well, I'm, Burn a, him. I'm a thing. <laughs> Not the thing. Uh. You're a person, Lane, like other people. <laughs> uh, Please, the thing was my father. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> well, you're in the, is it the Adams family? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, watching the that's one of the coolest visual effects for me is watching Norris's head slowly descend to the floor while screaming. Still. Oh my god! Yeah. Well, while at the same time, there's another head that comes, comes out, of, out his, of the chest and is like, "Oh, it's going out, everybody! I'm yeah. party!" Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, the way that that like the skin tears away mm. from the head is it kind of like falls off the table. Yeah. 
Another uh, story from the uh, special effects guy said they they made the neck out of this weird like they they just made like melted plastic and shit and put it together and like didn't really think about what that might do. Like they just literally melted down some plastic and like some chewing gum and mixed it together. And it was incredibly flammable. And they had to have fire in the bottom of the shot because to maintain continuity of Russell shooting the flamethrower at the like thing coming out of his, his chest. And it like lit the room on fire because oh, wow. that shit was so incredibly flammable. And they had to, again, that was like, we got one take and they had to redo it all over again. <laughs> oh man, that's fucking brutal. Um, but it came out fan fucking tastic. Oh my God. It looks fucking so uh, good as that. Yeah. The dual head thing too. I was like, Oh shit. Okay. Like the head comes out of the stomach and it's like swiveling around and, um, that seems like a decoy for the other head to get away. It's like this body's just going to like buy some time. Cause if, if one part of a thing can survive, then like so many other things can grow from it. Uh, I love watching the little like spider limbs sprout from the head and it flips upside down and has like the two eyes come out. Yes. It's like sneaking around too, like super stealthily. Yeah. <laughs> I like when it, it has that little like tentacle come out of the mouth and like drag mm-hmm. it's like dragging itself like under the yes, like, oh shit uh, i gotta get away it's like yeah. trying to get under before, the table yeah, before it sprouts don't mind legs. me yeah. just under yeah. this desk yeah <laughs> <laughs> gotta get to safety <laughs> fuck uh yeah and also the little tap dance it does when it's burning is is funny to me <laughs> like uh, i past that point i was like all right i saw the cool stuff but watching it on fire is also kind of amusing which is like all right good they got it but it's also like well uh it's actually funny that you mentioned tap i i do we've we've talked justifiably about the wonderful sound effects but the Mm -hmm. or sorry the wonderful uh visual effects the the sound effects though like the foley work Mm -hmm. is so good like the like crunches and Yeah. You know, that, that all of these creatures make beyond like these screams, yeah. like the, the, it's got such a physicality to it. It's, it, it really brings you to the movie. Once yeah. it has, once Norris's head has the spider legs or whatever they are, um, the sound effect too, when I say tap dancing, audibly, it's not tap. Uh, <laughs> it's visually a tap dance in a way it shakes on the ground. Um, the actual sound itself evokes the sound for me of roaches walking yeah. on wood. Yeah. It's that same kind Ugh. of, there's like a scuttering to it, uh, that adds this extra level of unsettling. Like it, it just, in me, I'm like, Oh God, I've heard that too many times at this point. And it just really got me in a different connection with what I was seeing. And the moment they started burning it, I was like, oh, thank God. (laughs) There's no way it's coming back from this. Well, roaches can tap. They can tap. In Joe's apartment. Yeah. Yeah. You just got to find the shoes. Am I bringing you back, Ryan? Yes. No. (laughs) Um, Yeah. After the Norris sequence, uh, which, yeah, there's so much time that's kind of put into that distraction. That's when Clark grabs the scalpel. Uh, afterwards, McCready is just like, all right, that's it. We're doing this fucking test, tying you all up to these chairs. Yeah, he figures since the head could live on its own, then any part of the thing could live on its own. So we're going to get a blood sample from everybody and stick a hot wire in it and see if it reacts and tries to live. And so definitely, like, you've got this huge uh, reveal scene and then closely followed by uh, the... 
buildup of tension. So it's like you've got a, a mix of the of the trust theme from this movie and then the alien, uh, the, you know, the obviously a- alien theme of this. I, I think that these two scenes back to back are the best scenes of the movie. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it's fantastic. And this scene in particular, I think is just so good because it's been building up this tension both in the characters, right? You know, there's been some suspicion of like who is and who isn't the thing. And it's been ramping up, but from the audience's perspective, we've had that even earlier uh, than, than the characters in a lot of ways. So like, this is like the culmination of so many different things. Like, yes, there is a climax that happens later on in the movie, but in, in my opinion, this is like the real, like crux of the film. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, and because it's also like so well kind of paced out in how McCready's doing the test too, like he establishes this whole thought process. He he lays it out very rationally for everybody who's and everybody at this point also running probably re- relatively low on sleep. Uh, oh yeah, very fucking frustrated, cold. Like there's cranky. Just, yep, all kinds of of kind of aggressiveness in the air. And McCready's like, look, when I saw that fucking thing split Norris's head out and try to run away, I realized that every part of this thing is out to survive for itself. It's its own kind of living agent. And it's not just one entity that you would think of as like, you know, I'm a human being and I'm just one thing that's collected with cells. But the thing itself is all these cells have their own identity and sort of identify what they want to do and how they want to do it. Um, and he's like, all right, we're going to do this hot, this fucking hot wire, tie these people to the chair that I, I definitely suspect. And the other people, like it's, it's just windows, right? Initially, he's like, windows, I know you're a person. Uh, yeah, I why? How I he justifies, no, no, he, he tests windows. He does test him, but he doesn't tie him up at first. I think, yeah, uh, I, I, I can't say, remember. He, uses, he has windows use the scalpel to take blood samples to take Nalls blood sample yeah. mm-hmm. and then he yeah. does Nalls but, first and Nalls is fine and then he does windows after or windows does himself and self like, yeah then he's I like will right, say I grab this they use door. one scalpel and he doesn't appear to like clean it uh, oh no, no when he, he when he takes it. his own blood he wipes it on his <laughs> he wipes shirt it on, his, on his both shirt, sides yeah. and then cuts his own thumb it's totally sanitized <laughs> Ryan. we learned that just even a drop of the thing's blood is a creature and can infect you but they just yep. all yeah cut he, he cuts everybody with his knife sure why not? <laughs> i'm not i don't think that that's the sole reason people became things continuing on in this movie but still i was like they didn't even <laughs> think yeah but uh, you're right they're probably on like an hour of sleep at this point fair yeah and this is is he shoot clark before this or yeah he shot clark before this well yes. no yeah. then he he's, takes clark's he's blood telling and he's, people uh that this is what's going to happen and that's when clark when they're about to clark tie people at him. up yeah. yeah clark jumps at him he shoots him in the head and then they're like fuck he's not fucking around with this gun or any of this shit yeah uh, tie these people to a table and yeah because he does clark's blood because he tests clark bud and then that's mm-hmm. when they're Finds like oh yeah Childs is like, so you're a murderer because his blood because his blood was normal. Yeah, Doctor Copper and Clark were both still human and very much dead uh, at this point. Um, and then it moves on to you know, hey, we're gonna do now we're gonna do uh, Palmer next. Well, he does uh, Windows and then he does himself. Yep. And they're they're both good. And yeah, and then he tests Palmer when he does himself too. It's great that it's paced that way, in my opinion, because it's like you've seen Nalls and you've seen uh, you've seen Windows and you've seen McCready. 
you've only seen three people get a negative and you have no idea what a positive is supposed to right, look like. Right. Yeah. So you don't yeah. know if this test is really actually going to work or not. And, and even child and, says it. Yeah. And uh, I forget the name of his character. The, the older man, what's the, the Gary name? Gary. So in Gary's like, Oh, there's such a load of shit. And he's like, I thought you'd say that I'm doing you last. Yeah. Um, yeah you were the only one that could have got to that blood. Right. And <laughs> I like so you, gramps, I'll test you last. <laughs> yeah. And so I believe that's before Palmer is, is as well. So like you, you've got this build up. You haven't seen what a positive result is. And yet what we think as the audience, we, we think we're going to see that positive result at the very end. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's when Palmer's tested. Yeah. And also before we get to what happens with Palmer, it, this is what the, the sensation, the sensation you get when you're hanging out with some friends and you get that text the next day. that's like, Hey guys, I have COVID. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> yes. and then everybody goes and tests and reports back <laughs> to everybody. One at a time. Like, okay, I'm negative. I'm negative. Oh, I'm positive. Oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we really should have been sending more and more of the gifts of Palmer. <laughs> Just shaking when you got positive. Well, yeah. But so, Speaking of Palmer's reaction, this is what I love because he does like a whelp. Yeah. I'm found out. Uh, that's the that's the reaction that I love, and then that's when he starts to like shake. And well, the blood first, like he puts the hot wire in the blood, and yeah. it just shoots into it's the like air and like starts running around. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a pretty cool effect. They yeah. didn't really talk about how they did that, but it looked really cool. Yeah. Oh, I, mean, I read about they. The, he has a uh, there's actually a fake hand. That I they figured. have from McCready. Yeah, it was like a fake hand that's there, and then they have the explosive, essentially a small like charge go oh, off and nice. blast that up or whatever. Mm. Yeah, it's a real jump too, because it, mm-hmm. it it's not like you, you think, oh, he's gonna put it in there and the blood's gonna like go away from it, right? That's kind of how he describes it. Like yeah, it, yeah. like scoot it, to the edge of the yeah, cup or something. It bombastically gets out of the way, right, as soon as it gets touched. Yeah, I, I, they also do an effect where they do a reverse shot of the blood on the floor, so it looks like it's like mm-hmm. creeping away. Yeah, um, which then I I was like, essentially at that point, I would think you you realize like if a droplet of blood can get up and walk away and still be the thing, there's nothing you can do. Yeah, Pretty we're we're fucked. fucked here. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, like there, just one drop of blood is somewhere out there in the snow, and that it's okay. Like it it'll stay frozen and maybe get out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Until Antarctica melts entirely, and then it infects the entire it, marine yeah, it gets all species. Of us. Oh, yeah. Jesus! <laughs> Thing whales. Oh <laughs> fuck, man! <laughs> We're all doomed. Uh, <laughs> the, yeah, the, um, the that sequence immediately when Palmer starts to lose his shit too. Uh, there's a hard cut between Palmer shaking his head a little bit. And his head actively like exploding outward, mm-hmm. his and, eyes like his eyes bulging. bulging, and like he. Uh, I love too that uh, because Gary and Childs are tied to the same bench. Uh-huh. Great idea. Uh, they're all just like, "Oh fuck, man!" Like trying to get, get away, out. get away. Yeah. And the thing just actively picks them up. Like we get a good demonstration of the thing's amount of strength as well. Right. So it lifts a bench with two other grown men on it. And just stands up and is like, I fucking need to get out of whatever this is and jumps into like uh, kind of the ceiling then back down as Windows is struggling to 
do anything. He's just so freaked out. I don't know if he can't get his flint. No, get, no. Uh, McCready can't, can't get his, get his flamethrower flame to start. And he's, I guess hesitant. he's used all the gas heating the wires. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because they could have heated the wires anyway, they, but they decided to use the flamethrower to heat the wires to test the blood. Yeah. Yeah, he can't get his to start in Windows is gun shy and he gets eaten. Just can't. Yeah, he's just sitting there and like the thing drops around right in front of him and fucking just opens up. Uh, that's a really cool uh, like effect. A, his, his head yeah, like splits has a, in half. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he forms like a mouth off the side of his head, like a new, and then bites and eats yeah. Windows. Yeah. It's like slamming Windows body around in the Yeah, slick. well, it's holding it up vertically. Gives a know? new new yeah. face to head banging. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Lane, I thought you would make that joke. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, and everybody else is just freaking the shit out. And McCready's over there trying to get the flamethrower going and eventually does, burns the shit out of uh, uh, Palmer. And like, Windows is still kind of just like collapsed on the floor, dead. They untie Childs and find out, you know, Childs isn't doesn't have any fucking thing going on. Uh, and they burn they burn windows mm. as well. Obviously, we have to burn both. Um, I love the anticlimactic nature of like, okay, Gary's the only one left on the couch. And they test him and he passes and he just sits there calmly for a minute. And he's like, if it wouldn't be too much trouble, I'd like to not be tied to this fucking couch for the rest of the winter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so good. It's so good. This build up. Yeah, was like, didn't they light when they light Palmer on fire? He runs out into the cold, and McCready yeah, just he, like, he tries does to. He, I like, love bust through the wall, kind of. Yeah, he yeah. does like a Kool Aid yeah. Man. He's like, uh, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, there's such like so many examples of the classic stuntman, you know, on, on fire. fire. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I love those. Great, great stuntman work. Ah, uh, those are great stunt stuntmen. Yeah, uh, and and like I love that moment too because McCready. He takes a stick of dynamite that he was threatening everybody with and goes out there and he's trying to light it with the flamethrower. And then he realizes that Palmer's just fucking on fire and he could just chuck it at him. Yeah. <laughs> he explodes Palmer into pieces. It's one of those moments where you're like, oh, yeah, there's an extra. There's not an extra step here. I could fucking just do this. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And at that point, they're like, uh, now you're down to, you know, a band of I think it's like five or no, four technically. Right. It's no. Yeah, well, this is where we're down to four. Yeah. Nalls, McCready, yeah. Gary, and Childs, mm. who are all there. Um, and so they form. You can't do groups of three anymore because one of you is going to be like Oh, they out. do. They don't. They, they leave they Childs. Do. They do a three but they and a do. one. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You can't do two and you can't do three, but I guess we're going to do three and we're going to leave Childs to go do his own shit. He's mm. going like, to We're, we're going to go check on Blair and d- give him the test. And Childs is going to hold down the fort and make sure, I guess, Blair doesn't. Get Double out somehow. Back. Yeah, because yeah. they figure, you know, uh, we've got two flamethrowers. Childs can have one of them. We can take the dynamite and go see what's going on with Blair. Fucking whatever. Yeah. McCready who leaves, he's like, Childs, if Blair comes back without us, you fucking kill him yeah. on sight. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah. And that's when they go to Blair's place and the door's like wide open to Blair's. Uh, yeah. Despite being locked from the outside. The outside, mm-hmm. yeah. Nobody's in there. Uh, however, there's a fun little hole that Blair mm. has dug that leads to a small space where there's a, a ship being built from parts. 
I'm very uh, confused as to what has happened. Y- yeah. In this. It's like, has he, since he's been locked in the shed, has he been burrowing into the snow, building a spaceship yes. from scraps? Or like, this looks like it would have taken months to do, to, to burrow down thing. there and build a spaceship. I mean, I, we don't really know what the thing can do other than freak the fuck out and assimilate yeah. people. And so it's strong. It's a strong boy. We've never seen it, yeah. you know, do, uh, you know, auto mechanics or, or, dig through the snow well uh, it's so got tentacles know. it can have shovel <laughs> yeah <laughs> comes from a long line of proud MacGuffins. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah they, they're like all right well we're gonna fucking blow this place to shit we're gonna get all of this uh the dynamite and like just blow up this underground section uh of the of the base um and it's also then that they they're like you know we're not gonna survive this yep, but that's we're gonna fine. last resort this yeah. Well, something kill it kills the power, right? That's the other part yeah. too. Is like they're already like, okay, this is fucked up, but the generator gets killed while they're right, out and there. they think the thing is trying to shut down the power so it can refreeze into the ice, and yep. then when a rescue team comes, it can assimilate into them. Start this all over. Yeah, and so Russell's like, no, we're gonna kill this, and we're gonna die too because it's killed the power, and we're just gonna have to. Yeah. sit here and freeze to death. There's also like Russell, uh, like uh, the you know McCready has left. Um, he's made one v- audio log to kind of <laughs> have a thing where he's just like, it is weird that it only happens once. Yeah. Like it's not a recurring yeah. bit. Yeah. Well, and I think th- that that's just to get it out of the way that yeah. he's leaving evidence behind that people will know what's going on because the other, the Norwegian base didn't, they didn't have a chance because they didn't know what they had. I, I wonder if it's player uh, makes it out of the explosion. That yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I wonder if it's a vestige of, some Other stuff piece. on the cutting room floor, like probably. Well, and I say that also because like the, the TV cut, uh, which John Carpenter has disowned, but like, I don't know how you make a TV cut of this movie. Mm, it, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, but it's, it's full of, uh, it's full of narration mm. by, uh, McCready. Oh, interesting. Um, it's like Blade Runner. Yeah. Oh, it's like big trouble in little China. Oh yeah. <laughs> like they have that open where he just narrates. Oh yeah. yeah. You might wonder, yeah. So, uh, uh, so I wonder if, like, maybe there was some narration that was intended, or like, hey, we'll have some narration stuff, and this is explaining, like, uh, narratively, like, why we have narration going on. Yeah. Um, Or in the moment, it makes it like clear that he's still human. Because why would the thing do that? Yeah. Yeah, and it also makes. It, it like known that there's it just reemphasizes that a lot of people are tired that there's a lot of there's a bit True. of like the fact too that when he says you know we're all really tired nobody trusts each other anymore um, and then he rewinds and records over that with something else is like McCready doesn't want to give up hope that they can reforge and figure yeah, out how I like to push that. back. Um, so it's kind of a moment to like uplift the audience is like, oh, no, we're not like going full nihilism where we're going to fucking lose everything. We'll get there, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll definitely get there, but maybe right now yeah, there's still moments. Right. Um, but yeah, so like uh, in, in this moment, uh, of we're just going to burn everything fucking down. Um, and they see Childs run out of the main compound and Nalls is like, I'm pretty sure that was Childs. Like what the fuck is going on? Why would he be running out into the snow? And 
then we just don't we don't know what the fuck happens to him yeah. as the rest of the team is is continuing to try to destroy the place. They go down and they're setting charges in these different areas with the generators and everything, and they're just like, "Fuck it, we're gonna blow this whole place sky high." Uh, and of course, they immediately split up as their group of three. They split up into individual groups of one, uh, and it's um, like Gary is immediately taken over by Blair who sticks a whole hand in his face. Yeah. Uh, it's a really cool element, like really yeah. cool kind of like skin uh, visual effects and stuff as he mm. absorbs him. Yeah, he's like sticking his hand under the skin on his face. Melding straight in. I don't uh-huh. know if that's how that works, but I guess for the thing, that's how that works. Well, if you've I do never think it's done interesting. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a soul bond. I think it's interesting that um, the thing kills in a different way like every time yeah yes right so even like mm-hmm. to hear it's still shocking because you're like what the fuck is happening now to his face like mm-hmm. right every time you see it it does something different yeah you're you. like where are the red tentacles what's going on here yeah, yeah 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 as it does the scene from the matrix uh reloaded <laughs> yeah <laughs> me <laughs> me 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 <laughs> <laughs> me too <laughs> um yeah and Nalls is i don't even remember what happens Nalls just doesn't Nels and McCready are hanging out, like rigging charges, and then Nels just stands up and walks into the other room. He notices and something. Doesn't really he, notice. sees, yeah. he sees Blair like dragging Gary away. Right. Yeah, that is another just sort thing of that enough. Was, yeah, that that definitely was cut. Uh, hmm. Like I I haven't seen it, but and I don't even know. I don't think they even filmed this, but they uh, speculating now Wayne? no i've read about oh, this okay. <laughs> uh that it was like the full reveal of the like final boss mm-hmm. prior to that last scene and and that's but he's like in a box or something uh, and and that's that what, was it was actually stop motion animated and carpenter yeah. didn't like it cuz he thought he could he could tell that it was animated versus the rest mm. of the film and so they cut it yeah gotcha. they I do a like a minor amount of stop motion um, the, like at, the, at this very end, sort of confrontation where mm-hmm. the tentacles like come up out of the ground and like grab the yeah, and it doesn't it doesn't look too good. Yeah. I think it's just one of those things where ever since Ray Harryhausen, every stop motion looks a little hokey. It can't um, yeah, just when it's stand. mixed with live action. Yeah, yep. The scene uh, though, I mean, same where thing, like like after Nalls walks away, McCready's like Nalls, what's going on? And then. The floorboards start. That's cool. Coming up, Shifting? yeah. And it's like they they did that obviously on a soundstage, and they built like a train underneath the room and just ran it through and had the wood coming up. That's and it's so just such a cool, cool, cool visual. It's like a wave going through the room. Oh. We used to make things in this country. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we did. Uh, now we just computer them. That's right. We need one stage with a giant LCD screen or LED screen <laughs> and a camera, and that's it. Yeah. Um, it's a sad state of affairs. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like the uh, McCready, I love this sequence when we get to see the final reveal of the thing. It's the only time that I feel it's appropriate to really bring it out in this kind of uh, a really, really bombastic, here's everything you've seen before, but now it's all a big puddle of what the fuck. Because uh-huh. um, we, like just it's end game. And the thing is like, fuck it. It has all this stuff in it. It's already absorbed so much has no reason to hide anymore. Cause McCready's the last one. Yeah. As far as it knows, it's got Blair and a dog head coming out of its chest and yep. all this fucking stuff, tentacles and goopiness. It's just a nightmare, uh, amalgamation of all these things. 
And I love McCready's line as he's just like, well, yeah, fuck you too. (laughs) 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 We just see that huge explosion (laughs) and the whole compound. And that was where like my brain skipped a beat and was like, oh, I've been with McCready this whole time in the end. But at that moment you see the explosion and you see the spectacle and that's all you really see. Then you're left with the settling of the debris in the flames and McCready just walking tiredly toward a chair to sit down uh, as Childs joins him and they have, where the fuck have you been? (laughs) Yeah. Conversation where Childs is like, I thought I saw Blair running out and you know, it's one of those things too, where we saw Blair in the underground. So did Childs really see it or was Childs already affected? What's going on? Right. Um, We have no idea. Uh, And we don't know if McCready is still McCready either. And they sit there and are like, well, what do we do now? <laughs> it's just like McCready's like, I don't think if either one of us were infected that the other one would have any strength to do anything about it. So why don't we just sit here and wait? Yep. And then the fucking movie ends and just goes to credits like, oh, I, f- I love that ending so, so much where so they're just good. like, you know, we don't know. Uh, maybe we're both. And, you know, maybe I guess they wouldn't both be infected because then they would just be the thing. But it's either, you know, maybe one of them is infected. Maybe one of them is not. Um, the the movie, like watching it this time, I really noticed its influence on Annihilation. Mm. And that ending really hit me the way that the ending to Annihilation does, where you're mm-hmm. like, are they this alien creature? Are they their original selves? Are they some fucked up, distorted version of their original selves? What's going on? Also, the way that. In Annihilation, the uh, you know the environment adapts the features of yep. the people in mm-hmm. it, and like like the bear taking on the scream of the woman it kills. Yeah. You know, the, like there's there's a lot of stuff. They're like, oh wow, I'm noticing this in the thing that I fucking loved in Annihilation, and seeing it in the thing is is really cool. I will say, like, obviously, this is a ton of practical effects. If you're not going to do practical effects in Annihilation, I think that's the way mm-hmm. to, to execute on the on a similar kind They did of a film. lot of practical they effects practical, in Annihilation, yeah. actually. Oh, like, really? the majority of the effects are practical. It's, like, oh. supplemented with digital. But, yeah. like, the bear is, is all practical, and the... Forget um, I said anything. Yeah, <laughs> fuck you, Lane. Yeah. Uh, listen to it's our really episode on like Annihilation, the, yeah. Lane. Jesus. <laughs> it's really just, like, I'm the alien at the end uh, piece that's, like... Uh, effects, and that's the otherworldly thing, yeah. anyway, in Annihilation, when you get to that point. Yeah, that's hey, why Lane, the movie looks say, so though, good. Is because it's so many practical effects. I just yeah. assumed yeah. that it was Jeez, all. Lane, never coming back on this podcast. No, yeah, I know. Lane, <laughs> Lane says he doesn't listen to our podcast. <laughs> Lane, you have the distinction of being the only episode of this podcast I have listened to. <laughs> <laughs> because Ryan was not present. Because I wasn't it. on it, so I needed to hear what happened. <laughs> yeah, you got to catch up. Well, it's you know all of these are like four hours long. Yeah, yeah, that's not my forever. fault. That's Dixon's fault. My, my commute's <laughs> over so, uh, only so long. <laughs> Dixon, edit all of this out. Yeah. Come on, trim the fat. <laughs> uh, what was our runtime on uh, Dirty Dancing? Because I it came up on my it on Spotify when I was in four. the car. Yeah, it, yeah, it was, was like four. Yeah, and Darla was like, "That was four hours. Like you guys <laughs> talked for four hours." Yep. Well, you got to cover the context of Havana Nights. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I love that I brought that up, and you did too. You did. <laughs> I mean, you got to wax poetic about Swayze for at least three oh, and a yeah, half was, hours. You know, yeah. then you really it, yeah. punch in the rest of the movie into a small <laughs> amount of time. But yeah, uh, the the ending too. Also, one of the things outside of reading because I haven't really read any articles, I haven't watched any videos about who the fuck is the thing? Who's the child? Is McCree? I don't give a fuck. Uh, 
Yeah. Um, but like, <laughs> I also noticed that don't they, they spend a lot of time prepping before they go on their, uh, suicide mission at the end of like, fuck it, we're going to blow everything up. They know the thing hates fire. They take a lot of the gasoline, kerosene, whatever you want to do. Uh, they, petrol. They pour, yeah. Petrol. Guzzoline. Yeah. <laughs> Guzzoline. Uh, and they, they pour it into the whiskey bottles. And I notice that McCready doesn't drink from the bottle at the end, no, but Childs does. I don't does. think he does. Yeah. And, and he Childs, laughs right after Childs yeah, and McCready drinks from like, it. smiles and laughs to himself about it. Oh, and I've never, I didn't even notice that they filled the, the J and B bottles with, with yeah, gasoline. There's, there's, yeah. Thing. There's a bunch of little, like they, he throws them into the room. He makes make some like, Molotov cocktails and mm. he throws them in each room kind of towards the end. Some. So it's kind of like a bit of ambiguity about, is it a J and B or is it actually a Molotov cocktail? Is there a difference between J and B and gasoline? We'll never know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it could be one and the same, and that's why McCready <laughs>, laughs to himself. He would actually lower himself to drink that shitty stuff. <laughs> McCready has some stockpile somewhere. It's Antarctica. They don't have a lot of <laughs> options here. The supply chain to Antarctica is not great. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, at that point, it doesn't matter, and we go out on credits, and we have that fucking great score. It, mm. it, it opens with it. It ends with it, and it's just a fucking beautiful... You know, you drive around listening to taxi drivers theme, Dixon. I drive around mm. listening to this and worrying that something's going to happen to me, <laughs> but I can't stop listening to it. It's like the same few notes, but it just hits so well. Yeah. It's really interesting that Carpenter decided not to do his own score here and had Morricone do it. And, you know, Morricone is one of my favorite, uh, you know, film composers and, and he put together a fucking fantastic score for this movie. But it's, it's interesting that he Carpenter has so many iconic scores that he has created for his own films. And I wonder why he decided to outsource, outsource this one to Morricone. It works great. Right. Like, you know, if you hire any Morricone, you're getting a good fucking product. Of course. But, I mean, yeah. I do know that, uh, Carpenter is a huge fan of like Westerns has been trying like his whole life to make a Western. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. Uh, let's, just but let him make a Western, guys. Let the band make yeah. a Western. But, Which uh, I, I feel like it's interesting that then the Morricone, like some of the music that didn't get used for this was in Hateful Eight. And Hateful oh, Eight feels like it. Know that. That. Yeah. Hateful Eight, feel, you mentioned it earlier, but I feel like it takes a lot of tones from this, mm -hmm. right? Of that, them all kind of being stuck in there. Yep. It's did so Morricone strong. decide to do that? Because he did the score for Hateful Eight. Did he decide to do that or was that a Tarantino's decision? Do you know? Yeah, I don't know. They just used some of the stuff that was on the cutting room floor from here mm -hmm. and then made new stuff. So, yeah, it's a good, fascinating. Yeah, cool. Maybe he just knew it was similar. Yeah, I don't know. It, I would also say, like, Carpenter did Halloween's theme in, like, a weekend, right, or something. Yeah. So it's yeah. not like it would have taken him that long to make an amazing theme, like right. set of music either. It's good. Yeah, but it's He did say it, in one of the interviews that this is the most time he's ever spent on a movie. Like, he said it was, like, over a year from the time he signed on till the time it went out to theaters and I was like, that seems not that long to me. Uh, but apparently for a John Carpenter project, that's a pretty long time. And maybe he just <laughs> felt like it was too, you know, too much stuff going on with special effects and all that to worry about putting a score together. I don't know. And John Carpenter is mm -hmm. such a cool guy. Yeah. The, uh, there's an interview he did recently. Recently. Yeah. A was it the AV club? I think that did something. And they were like, you know, people talk about elevated horror. What, what are you, what are your thoughts on elevated horror? Because the kind of, uh, some others say that it's kind of a cudgel used to uh, denigrate other horror and some of your own features. And he was like, I don't know what that is. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what elevated horror is. Um, and he had a really good kind of retort, not retort, but like a build on where he's like, I understand what you're saying though, that 
there are some horror movies that are metaphorical and some that are more experiential uh, in nature. And he was like, I think that all horror movies share a common thing. And that is the motif, whatever theme they need to drive towards has to be imbued within their body. Right. And it's like just a beautiful way for John Carpenter to say, so cool. I'm not going to engage in this <laughs> inflammatory bullshit about so, elevated so cool. versus non-elevated and what it might implicitly mean. And y'all know what he does like now, right? Like he just tours with his sons making cool electronic music and then no, play, I did not know that. And he plays the shit yeah. out of destiny too. Yeah. He plays a ton of video games <laughs> yes. like for real Good he plays man. a ton yeah. of video games and just tours with his sons playing uh electronic music like a rad way to go john carpenter for some reason i thought he was dead uh i thought <sighs> he'd already passed and i was i thought we'd lost a national treasure when was the last time he that's made because a movie? He looked, that's because he looks 80 like he looked 80 yeah. when he was making was this a, movie it was a movie called it, the ward it's because you, you were sucked. born older george yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! Anyway. It is yeah. The Ward from 2010 was his last movie. Yeah, it, yep. it's not good. It broke him. Yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't even watch it to be honest. Oh yeah, it looks like it's been a while since he's made anything that's been well thought of. In the Mouth of Madness was 94. Yeah, I need to see it says that. He's been doing compo. I guess he did composing on these more recent Halloween movies. Yeah, co-composing. Um, that's interesting. Oh, okay. Yeah, but, I, I mean think he's he into music some... now anyway, so yeah, yeah it makes sense. That he, he did he, a movie called Memoirs of an Invisible Man. Is that yeah, based on the yeah. Claude Rains the, movie? Are you? <laughs> that was the you, one I told you to see. And you, oh, it is. You, yeah. you blew yeah. me off about it. No. You know who's in it, right? No, Chevy Chase. Chevy Chase. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> oh my god, that sounds horrible. And it is horrible. That's why Ryan told <laughs> you to oh, check yeah, it out? It's something else. Uh, yeah, it's uh, something else. When you were saying you were going to watch Invisible Man sequels, I was like, all the way to Memoirs of Invisible Man. <laughs> <laughs> I believe I said I wasn't going to watch it's, any Invisible it's Man sequels. Really, but... It's really, truly bad. And and also, oh, man, speaking of things breaking, uh, John Carpenter, Chevy Chase, for sure, legitimately oh, yeah. broke. Yeah. John Carpenter? Yeah. Aww, oh, man. Chevy. Yeah, he breaks Why gotta everybody. do that? <laughs> Every story I hear about Chevy Chase just makes me sad. Well, and he cause... also specifically wanted John Carpenter for that movie, too. But it was just not a good... Oh man, that just makes me sad. Yeah, how am I going to enjoy Vegas vacation now, knowing that? (laughs) (laughs) Randy Quaid. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Anybody ever told you you're bad luck, Eddie? You know, Clark. Those are my mother's dying words. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, yeah. Uh, Well, hell, the thing was fucking great. Yes, my my other time around. I'm glad you got to experience it, Lane. Yeah, I'm so so glad I watched it, Ryan. I'm glad you got a cohesive picture after seeing it on TNT or fucking. Oh yeah, wherever I pieced it together. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, Lane. I assume you're recommending this movie. Absolutely, I am. This is this is. I've seen a lot of John Carpenter. I I think that this is again his best movie. It's so good. Even like. I like I like Escape from New York. Mm-hmm. I do. I think it's a little overrated. I do too. I watched it after you came on the podcast last and you were raving about uh the Escape movies and I watched Escape from New York and I was like, "Eh, it's fine." Um Yeah, but, uh, I mean like I I like it a lot. Um and I love the the score for sure. But mm. uh th- and that's I think a bigger part of that movie than than the music is here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I think that this is for sure his his best. Do you think Escape from New York is his second best? I do. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Not Halloween. 
Yeah. Over Halloween huh. or wow. yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I mean I like Halloween, but I I don't know. I I think uh, Escape from New York has Or a, not Big Trouble Little China. You you oh, always go no, on no, about no, that. No, 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 no. Sorry. He takes I, that back. Yeah. <laughs> Big Trouble Little China is definitely his second best. Okay. Yeah. Personally, uh I'm biased. I like They Live is my second. Uh They Live is great. That's just because yeah. I like the message and I love uh Roddy Piper and Keith Davidson. Yeah. Like why yeah. the fuck not? Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, that one is good. I guess you're not like that. I mean, Jim hates it, but that's, that's just another Jim. reason to love it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I I also I agree that this is Carpenter's best movie. I think I think it's really good. I do think Alien is better, but uh, you know they're both really good movies uh, that are definitely worth revisiting during spooky season. No, so. you can only watch one. <laughs> <laughs> you must choose. <laughs> and don't. Yeah. I mean, if you're really interested, if you're craving more of like the things kind of atmosphere, the thing 2011 does a good enough job, but it's one of those things where like you really don't have to. I didn't even know that was a thing. Mm. It, uh, <laughs> fuck. God damn it. <laughs> I'm em. sorry. That was an accident. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that existed. I thought, okay, wait. At one point in time in this movie, I'll let you know how much culture, our culture has ruined me. Uh, oh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead and Joel Edgerton yes, are in Yes, yeah. they are. Yeah, and it's one of those things where like they give an admirable performance, um, but like the the movie itself kind of just peters out. Didn't bit. need to exist. Yeah, yeah, it didn't need to. I really like Mary um, Elizabeth Winstead. She's always great. Me too. Yeah, she's great. Uh, like in the middle of this movie, there's one point where um, I think that like Doc is talking about uh, the, the test for how he can find the thing or whatever. And they're like, what would you test? And I, in my mind said, test these nuts. <laughs> and I fucking lost it. And then I was like, God damn it. Why has the internet made me this way? <laughs> I was so frustrated uh. with myself. <laughs> Uh, anyways, I also wanted everybody to know if you have the Bank of America app, the shortened abbreviation on your iPhone is BOFA, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which makes me laugh every time. Um, yeah, anyways, <laughs> I would recommend the thing. I would recommend. Uh, John would also live. recommend these nuts. <laughs> That's <laughs> exactly I would. <laughs> um, Ryan, I, I, I'm assuming you would recommend it. Having seen yeah, it I did, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think I actually probably would have recommended it even from just what I had seen before. Um, no, I think that it's both the the creature work and you know kind of horror elements of it, but even just the you know guys standing around a table talking mm. in this movie aspects are are really good. Um, and Carpenter, yeah, there's some like hit or miss with him, but I I have really enjoyed him over the years. I, Halloween is an absolute favorite of mine. Mm-hmm. Like I. I think it it stands head and shoulders over almost all the other horror movies um in, in what it does so of that kind of like I, I do think slasher like, horror yeah it's an unmissable movie for sure yeah yeah but like no i think as as yeah. far as yeah. yeah yeah as far as carpenter goes i would say yeah this is this is you know you can we can debate on there but definitely like it, it's absolutely up there it is like really great and yeah other than halloween everything he put out bombed like Halloween was a runaway success, but everything else, like he's he's essentially as far as studios are concerned, coasted off of that. And yeah. the fact that like VHS and DVD sales of these other movies spiked and for reasons the studio doesn't understand. Yeah, this was one of his first it. like big budget. I think this was his first big budget studio movie to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess Escape from New York was probably pretty big budget, but he was, was he decent. was talking about it in the interviews as if it, this was like his first time to get like a real big 
studio contract. Mm. Well, um, and he was signed up for other things that they cut. Like he was supposed to do Firestarter, and like he had another series of movies that they had lined up because they're oh, like, oh, this is going to be Carpenter's going to be our horror guy, right? Like it's John Carpenter's, <laughs> yeah, thing, right. Uh, they, his name is in front of all of these movies because of John Carpenter is the thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, man, it's such. Such bullshit. It's it's really crazy <laughs> to me that this didn't this wasn't a massive hit. It's just so it's so engrossing. It's just wild to me that people wouldn't have gone out and seen it with Kurt Russell starring. You, you think this would be a big draw? They talked about in the special features like man, like they should have spread this out. It came out too close to ET, and that sabotaged it. And if they had waited a little bit longer, maybe it, it could have been a big hit. But it still feels like you're not even talking about necessarily the same audiences here. There's obviously overlap, but <laughs> you would think if you're launching this, like you're going to have some horror nerds going out and going to see it. I mean, maybe, maybe at the time there wasn't the like crazy horror genre fan base that there is now, but well, yeah, exactly. Like he was basic. I mean, the, Blumhouse wouldn't exist today without right. John Carpenter uh, mm-hmm. for sure. But if John Carpenter would have been born like 25 years later, he would have had so much more success at the box office. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. it's like, that seems like a chicken or an egg scenario. But no, it doesn't. Yeah. What I said <laughs> made sense. Okay. <laughs> End of discussion. Um, <laughs> I will say, though, like, it is interesting to talk about real quick because the, the contemporary reviews for it are, are actually pretty down on it. And I saw, like, Siskel and Ebert. Ebert was like, really really harsh on it cisco was like yeah it's fun um hmm. he was okay on it but they like what he said and and what like a lot of the contemporary people were like oh it's just all gore like blood and gore and that there wasn't anything else to it um which i i don't know if like later audiences either were into the blood and gore or or just like it's there but it's not affecting in a way that distracts from everything i can hear Ebert um, saying because that. we're more used to it or not yeah mm-hmm. what's funny is ebert loves like he liked halloween and like so he's okay with and which i mean is honestly for its time fairly gory yeah, yeah um, but not c- near compared to the degree to that the thing yeah. is and i i think i wonder if that maybe just distracted people from the core elements of uh, you know fear and distrust that are pulsing throughout the film but if you're just after you get out of theater you're thinking about holy shit that man's head crawled away and did all this weird shit or split open right yeah right then then maybe you're you're just not you're kind of forgetting those aspects of the film but they're so present it seems weird to not come away thinking about those ideas they actually kurt russell mentioned that he thought one of the reasons the movie did poorly is because of the autopsy scenes he was like some of the test audiences just hated like it wasn't the monster stuff that was that bad but like actually poking and prodding into dead carcasses and pulling out organs was really freaking people out yeah that's that that kind of it it really resonates with me that there's a a uh, certain desensitization, uh, desensitization now um, that because I've been going through, of course, October and I've been seeing all. How are movies. you, John? I'm doing. Yeah, well, what was your in. scale again? In my <laughs> yeah, sensor? where are you from? Uh, I don't even remember what that woman's Eden? name is. Not Eden? Evan Rachel Wood at the Enid, start yeah. of of Censor to the end of Censor. How are uh, you doing? I would say I'm after watching Edward North's Don't Go Into the Church, so I'm a little. So you're in a very bad place. Yeah. And there's okay, a man good, hitting yeah. on me and asking if I want to go to drinks while also comforting me. Oh no. Uh, so, anyways. Um, yeah, no, watching a lot of the Are you talking about me, stuff. John? Because I brought this whiskey <laughs> you over bring here. bring that whiskey in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, I appreciate, thank you for this, Dixon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like, uh, watching all the slack that I've been watching, I've been making, of course, uh, brief edits from like, you know, three to six minutes or whatever for them and posting them on social media. Uh, never once dot space. Yeah. <laughs> never once also thinking that, um, Hey, social media is available to everybody and people are going to see these movies where people get like murdered in certain ways. And it's, it's all stuff that to me seems really camp and very old and it just seems completely detached. Have you like, had people reach out to you on Twitter and be like, why the fuck did you post this weird shit? Nobody has, <laughs> uh, but they're, but like huh. the platforms themselves, like both Instagram and Twitter and even Facebook to an extent are like, do you want to mark this as being for adults only or being uh. mature content? And I oh, just shit. blast right past that. John's page. gonna get deplatformed. Yeah, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get canceled or deplatformed. Some shit's gonna happen. I'm not gonna make any money anymore. Hashtag <laughs> cancel John. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, somebody think of the children. Yeah, I I'm gonna appear on a platform and have to learn how to cry like Jordan Peterson does uh, every time to oh. make it seem more tragic. Um, Please don't do that. <laughs> Uh, yeah. And so like the, it's just one of those things where the more that I think about it, the more I'm like, Hmm, should I be posting this? And then I hit send anyway. Um, but like, it's one of those things where maybe back in the eighties when it came out, yeah. Critics were more like, this is, I can't believe the gore in this and all these other things that are, you know, really corrupting our children, satanic panic, whatever the fuck else you want to put in it. Um, just this visual imagery is so haunting, but to me, like watching the thing, it's creepier for the concept than it is for the execution. Like the visuals themselves are unsettling. Yes, but I don't actively feel like they're going to make me have nightmares. I don't find them to be as mm. believable. I find them to be impressive and really fantastic from the level of effort and creativity put into it. Um, but like, even when Sasha watched the thing with me the first time, she audibly was like, that doesn't look believable because she expected it to be hyper-realistic CGI or something. I don't know. Uh, There's different expectations around it. She still I loves feel like movie. it's pretty goddamn realistic. Yeah, yeah. It, it uh, looks really good. Last time I saw a thing, it looked just like this movie. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like it, it was just one of those... like. Uh, things where I guess there's there's the dissociation of what you're expecting to see in the visual effects versus what you are seeing. And I'm not saying that it's not impressive, not believable in these ways, but there are moments where you can tell, oh yeah, this is an animatronic. This is this. It could violate your suspension yeah. of disbelief if you really want it to. A but, little bit. Yeah. But I do think it, it's falling at a time where it's like, this is after Black Christmas, mm -hmm. Friday the 13th, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, right? Yeah. Like way earlier. Those, those um, and then obviously yeah. after... Halloween, which is of those that I just listed, Halloween's mm. actually like less gory. The Exorcist to The Exorcist, yeah. yeah. Not the Exorcist so, two, The Exorcist also. The Exorcist, yeah. The Exorcist yeah. two is another thing. <laughs> um, but each of those was pretty controversial for what it did, mm -hmm. right? But then, kind of after this, you get into like Nightmare on Elm Street, Child's Play, mm -hmm. and like tons of sequels, like right, all the other. Oh, yeah. sequels that just get dumped out towards the end of the 80s until you're tired of all these slasher movies and then by the early 2000s we have like saw and hostile and like we're just completely they're literally over just throwing it. gore at the screen to see what's yeah sticks. we don't even <laughs> care anymore and yeah so i think this does kind of fall in that spot between uh like it's still shocking and completely desensitized to it mm -hmm. um that maybe did at the time make it still a little shocking which is what it's supposed to be so it's just a tough yeah. I'm trying to think of like what else. I don't know, tough balance. 
Because Pieces came out the same year this movie did. This is 82, right? This is 82, mm. yeah. yeah. So, mm. yeah. Pieces came out the same. It's like a giallo, people cutting up other people and whatever else. You just well, all those giallo... Those are all the Jello same thing, in the right? video. <laughs> well, no, those didn't always make like that wasn't like a wide release in yeah. the states, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's not going to have like it's not John Carpenter's pieces. Obviously, it's not going to be a Western right. release fully or any of that. But I'm like, I'm trying to think of like where you place uh, the distributed gore and visualization of violence in like American cinema, Western cinema, I should say, uh, in that that time period and what it looked like, and see if there was some sort of disconnect because critics usually are like. Um, Ebert especially has this knack I've noticed in some of the movies he talks about where he's like, ah, I just found that it was more gore than it was story. Um, that's kind of what yeah. he seems to fall back on. The uh, gore is well, I mean, the this story. Is like, like it's, yeah. They're, inter- they're inextricable. Yeah. Th- this is definitely a time where it's getting to that, right? Because like American Werewolf, right, was before this as well mm-hmm. in The Howling. And like there's movies where that was the shock. Like effects work had gotten to this level mm-hmm. Um, that that just is, yep, shocking. Like right at the level it was, and that we now have you know higher people are going to see R-rated movies, mm-hmm. right? Or or eventually the the PG thirteen gets created, and we have these kind of like high like be, those are sort of become accepted movies. But I think at this time it was still like not quite. Yeah. Like it's right in that window between uh people will just be like yeah movies are you know adult movies can be gory whatever it's still at that like oh my god the children uh time period of of censor mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah and let us not forget the audience that ran away from the train coming towards the screen yeah. <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> the original gory movie yeah. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> um yeah uh, it's one of those things too, where like depending upon the zeitgeist of the time as well. I mean, we talk about ET having a lot of like audience sway, but ET is not a horror movie, so you know, like your genres and what you're trying. ET to get scared into. the shit for, out of me as for a child. Kids? Uh, for kids, ET <laughs> is a horror like, movie. I didn't sleep for, <laughs> for days. ten and under. You know, <laughs> that movie shocked uh, some kids. <laughs> you know, Poltergeist was originally developed as an ET Knock horror off. movie sequel. It's amazing. If that's true, no, that's true. I don't know if I, I don't can believe, believe you. you. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm serious. Damn. Uh, and then they couldn't get Spielberg on board. So no, Spielberg like, we'll was just give this to Toby Hooper, and Spielberg is involved in Poltergeist. Really? Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Not like directing, obviously, but producing. Or, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Okay. Uh, what what threw it off that course, Lynn? Do you know? Uh, they were just like, Hey, these ETs are supposed to be nice and stuff. We don't really want to uh, make a, Hey, you're going to uh, harm the ET brand. I was say, yeah. I was going to say, are Reese, you sure Reese's Mac pieces. And me isn't the horror sequel yeah. to <laughs> ET? <laughs> I was going to say Reese's pieces wouldn't sign off. Like it was down. Oh, yeah, they couldn't point. leave Reese's pieces for the native American spirits that were haunting that man's house. <laughs> you only moved the snicker bars. <laughs> oh man. Uh, yeah, just, just what else could it be? Because you have Halloween, which is, um, it goes through that thing. We talked about horror, uh, in our, like last year during one of our off the tables, I I remember we talked about kind of just the general genre and how it explores these different things and Halloween explores, uh, Halloween, you know, even Friday the 13th, there's this aspect of vulnerability you're trying to exploit, uh, in a sense, like Halloween is kind of a home invasion sort of thing that that's what followed with slumber party massacre and like all these other movies like home alone, the Axe, home alone, uh-huh. sure. Uh, home alone Two, lost in New York with Donald Trump. Uh, <laughs> like those are all horrible and horrifying in different ways. Uh, <laughs> it's down the hall on the right. <laughs> uh, 
uh, scariest lines ever uttered. <laughs> um, but like this one, how do you pitch that to an audience of people who want to be scared? I suppose when you're essentially showing them a trailer for something that seems like a B movie in a way, B horror film, like mm. oh the thing that came from space, who knows what it could be, who knows what what this is or whatever, and you're in the thick of. Uh, people breaking into your home and murdering you while you're like sleeping or while you're having a slumber party or uh, summoning demons in your house with a Ouija board. <laughs> Who fucking knows what what the other horror movies at the time are well, this, doing? It was after Alien and and some of the studio yeah. like poster and taglines. They did purposely try to like try to do that mm-hmm. piggyback a little onto Alien. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, in Antarctica, no one can hear you scream. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they could if they were next to you, but I mean, like <laughs> yeah. the rest of the world. I mean, like the penguins technically, but they're not people, so it's fine. <laughs> oh, man. Um, These scientists yeah. are actually here testing to see whether penguins are just little people in tuxedos. <laughs> <laughs> These scientists are actually testing if penguins are Amish or not. <laughs> so I was hoping, Dixon, you would bring it back. <laughs> Lane, we've now established a running joke on this podcast where we just make fun of the Amish because they'll never know about it. <laughs> It's not we, it's mostly Dixon. <laughs> I don't want to dissociate myself. For the Amish people out there who have internet and listen to podcasts, <laughs> give us a try. We the- we, yeah, For we the Amish people last week. who hear someone read a transcript Reading, of this Yeah, podcast. reads a transcript. Like if you, yeah, if you write a letter to a service that will send an email for you, it technically counts, or it technically doesn't count for you. Uh, directed towards Dixon. <laughs> Knights of the Underground Table at gmail.com. There you go. Boom. <laughs> Done. <laughs> uh, well, I, I feel like we've talked all we can about John Carpenter's thing. One yeah. more thing One that more? we didn't talk about that I think is just really fucking cool is the opening title sequence uh-huh. where the thing like seems to burn into yeah. the screen. And it looks so goddamn cool. And the they I saw an interview with the guy who did the title sequence, and he talked about how they did it. And he, they like had a stencil that they were shining light through, and they had a trash bag behind, like between the light and the stencil, and they just lit the trash bag on fire, and oh, it just burned away. And so the cool. light was able to come through the stencil as the trash bag burned away. He's like, it's actually really easy to do. <laughs> like it looked yeah. really cool, but it took very it little really effort. Good. Y'all should do it for a. For a logo for the podcast. Oh, yeah. Damn it. You're right. We should burn a trash bag. <laughs> I, I really enjoy burning plastic and sniffing the fumes. So, uh. I'll, I'll do a simulation of it. And <laughs> we'll save some carbon emissions. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, well, we've all gone around and recommended already. We've talked it uh, to death. The Thing is a movie that you should see. John Carpenter's The Thing. Uh, is a movie that you should see if you have not already. And even if you've sat and listened through all of this without seeing it and had all of it spoiled for you, it's still a worthwhile watch. I don't know that this movie can really be spoiled because the visceral experience of sitting there and seeing these things happen is just, it's going to get you regardless of whether you know it's coming or not. It's so masterfully done Mm -hmm. that, yeah, there's no way to escape feeling in that moment uh, what it is. So it's it's fantastic. That's the thing. There you go. Mm-hmm, yep. Nice, Lane. Way to go. <laughs> um, yeah, we will sign off from the table here. Uh, 
I have been your host, John Garcia. Um, with us, our special guest, Lane White. Thank you so much, Lane, for joining oh, us. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, man, it was exciting to get to talk to you about this uh, for our spooky season. <sighs> it was. Lane, you're our favorite guest. <laughs> Fuck all our other guests. Uh, hey. We love Lane. It's on whoa, the record. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> whoa, whoa. That's right. Well, what are you talking about? <laughs> I said what I said. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> She also doesn't listen to the podcast, so I guess maybe. Okay. Uh, sorry, Sam. Uh, <laughs> Jim, uh, fuck that guy. Okay, okay, Jim, yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> and of course, uh, with me as always is Ryan Thing. Oh shit! Oh no! <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, add in that. I knew it. Lane did earlier. <laughs> Fucking knew that. Uh, I thought it would be funny if he was like Lane White. <laughs> like, wait a minute. <laughs> There's two of them. Um, yeah, and uh, of course, Michael Dixon. Thanks for putting over their bullshit. At Coors. We pride ourselves on making the best light beer money can buy. Best thing about our beer, that cold Rocky Mountain flavor rolling over your tongue. Second best thing, it kills werewolves. We don't call Coors Light the silver bullet for nothing. When you're hiking through the Rockies, or strolling through the neighborhood trick-or-treating with your youngin, and you see a werewolf charging at you, just whip out that silver bullet and chuck it right at that demon dog's face. Guaranteed one hit kill. Next time you venture out under a full moon, remember to pack a silver bullet. Coors. It kills werewolves. Hey, did you know you can follow us on social? Myself, I find it annoying, like you. But science says this works, so sit down and listen. Unless you're on your morning run, then run on and listen. We're on Twitter and Instagram at N-O-T-U-T-Pod. Those are platforms fellow kids use these days. Did I mention I work for a social media company and a major messaging platform? If you're an older housewife, check us out on our Facebook page. Feel free to hit us up at Knights of the Underground Table at gmail.com. Let us know if there's something you'd like us to review. I'm old enough to remember when Gmail wasn't a thing. Please leave us a voicemail on Anchor. Actually, check those things. We'd love to hear from you. Check out the episode description for more detail. Subscribe to us on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Don't forget to rate and review on that favorite platform. Our overlords need to reinforce their self-delusion that they're providing a non-evil product. 